Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The exits and the passing that the Blues had as it's bounced on goal and scored. Turnover again for the Blues, and this time Kolasar puts the Knights on top, three to one. You know, basically, it boils down to they wanted the game more than us. They they dug in more. They won more puck battles. You know, made more plays, skated better. That's why they won the game. That'll pretty much do it. 5-1 to one the final tonight. The Blues have a tough third period. And the Knights beat the St. Louis Blues by a score of 5-1. to one. Very disappointing. We won two games in uh, San Jose. You know, played some good hockey there. And, and then just came here and it was, didn't look like a confident hockey team tonight. No, they did not. They really didn't look like a confident hockey team last night. And that was supposed to be the game. Remember, boys, what we said yesterday. Love what they did against the San Jose Sharks. But you got to do it against the quality opponents on your schedule. That was one of them. What's the opposite of confident? Lacking confidence. Okay. Unconfident. Unconfident. Yeah. We'll go with that. <laughs> By the way, with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. The Blues drop another one last night, 5-1. to one. There was a point in time, believe it or not, when that was a close game. And then the third period happened, and... The Blues were just dominated, and this has been the theme of the last two games against the Vegas Golden Knights. I remember when Mizzou first got to the SEC. It was my sophomore year in college, and Mizzou took on Georgia in their first ever SEC game in conference play. And for the first half, it was like, wow, you know, Mizzou is really playing well against Georgia. Second half, Georgia comes out, and it's just a blitzkrieg. It's as if the dam had broken, and there is just an avalanche of water coming down. That's what's happened in these games between Vegas and St. Louis. Vegas is just the better team. The better team, and they wear the Blues down, and by the end of the game, the last two games, they've been outscored 8-1 to one combined in the third period. Alex, this is just a, a situation where one team, that is far superior, showed us last night the gap between them as a real Stanley Cup contender right now and where the Blues are currently God, The horrible part is about it. We've come to the point now where we have to compare the Blues to Mizzou. Oh, that, and, that, and that's oh. and not just Mizzou. That's not 2012 good. Mizzou. Yeah, oh. that is. 2012 Mizzou when they went five and seven. That, that is, ain't a great one. That is not good. No, I mean, look, this was this was a a major step backwards for this team. And I mean, again, I 
was very confident after two games against the Sharks. And I don't care that the Sharks are at the bottom of the league. They are still an offensive team that has been within one goal against you in every game but that last one this season. Still a good team, and the Blues found a way to eliminate that offense. But they didn't do it against the powerhouse team. And frankly, this was a game that, for me, Vegas wanted more than St. Louis. Even if the game was a close one, Blues never had the mojo. They never had the push. They never looked like a team that wanted a three-game win streak and wanted to be within two points or two more points of that Vegas Golden Knights team. Joey said it on the broadcast. Two teams that played very vanilla hockey last night. And what it took was one team finally saying, okay, let's finish this. Vegas came out. A team that played the night before in Anaheim. And got beat up in that game. And got beat up 3-1. to one. I'm sorry, not in Anaheim. L.A., the Kings. Then they flew back to Vegas, didn't do a morning skate, and you let them come out there and basically walk all over you. And I, walk all over you may sound forceful, but it felt like that. In the third period, it certainly did. You were outshot 15-3. to three. Here's the stat. I wrote this one down, and Fox Sports Midwest had this as well. In the third period, like I mentioned, 15 to three, one shot came from a forward. Two shots came from a defenseman. It was Vince Dunn and Justin Falk. You went 15 minutes and 23 seconds without a shot on goal. When you were down by a goal, by two goals, by three goals, you didn't get a shot on goal. Vegas wanted it more. Vegas was the stronger team. And right now it goes Vegas, Colorado. I put Minnesota in a tier of their own. And I think the Blues are in a tier right now with, with the Kings, with the Coyotes, and frankly, with the San Jose Sharks. And and you guys mentioned the gap between the Blues and the Vegas Golden Knights. I think last night, yes, it showed the gap. I think it showed the gaps insurmountable with the current roster. I honestly believe that. Vegas not only comes from playing the night before, and then they dominate you in the third, as we just said, but they don't have Petra on the ice. They don't have Pacioretty on the ice. That's I look at point. that, and you and and we talk about look. Oh well, they're not healthy. The Blues aren't healthy. They're kind of healthy now. And they're getting there. They're, they're not. Getting there. They're not a hundred percent. But I look at last night's game, and I say I don't know if a one hundred percent Blues team can close that gap with the one hundred percent Vegas Golden Knights. Who was the best player on the on the ice last night for Vegas? Stone. Yeah. Who was the best Mark player Stone. on the ice for the Blues last night? Yeah, done. There's your problem. Mark Stone goes out there and picks up two goals against the Blues, a three-point night, your best players, who scored 11 points against the San Jose Sharks the game prior. They went out there, and if I'm not mistaken, Jordan Cairo did not. Jordan Cairo had a bad night. Turnovers, offsides, it wasn't good for him. Did not have a shot on goal. Ryan O'Reilly did not have a shot on goal. And David Perron... Did not have a shot on goal. So a, so a line that had 11 points for you the night prior or the game prior, when the other team's top line performs, didn't get a shot on goal. That's the problem. It was so bad that they they switched it up. Yeah. By the end of the game, Sanford was back up with that line, and I it was hard for me to disagree with the decision. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jordan Cairo, he had a bad game. It was one of his worst games that we've seen in a minute, and that's going to happen. You know, he's a young player. You have the ups and the downs, and you live with it because he's been producing the way that he has. And over the weekend, he was excellent against San Jose. But when he has that kind of a down game, you need other guys to step up. Yeah, Your best players have to be even better. They have to take their game to another level. 
Craig Berube was asked after the game why he believes that his team has struggled so much against Vegas this year. The, all the games are tight going into the third period. You have an opportunity tonight. Uh, in my opinion, we didn't play that well the first two periods, but we hung in there. Um, it's a it's a close game. It's right there. And, you know, we get outshot 15 to 3 in the third period. I mean, it's just not good enough. I don't, there's nothing more I can really say about it. We got to be better. I got to coach better. They got to play better. Luke Korak had this stat last night, and it's a good one. The Blues had more blocked shots last night. They had more shots blocked than they had on goal. That's nearly impossible. That's really hard to do in any given game. And so when you look at what the stat sheet showed you, it matched up with the eye, the eye test last night. The Blues got outplayed and outclassed by a team that is better right now. To your point, Tanner, that you said you don't think you think it's a little bit insurmountable. Unless the Blues take their game to another level, that's a big if. I think you're right. Now, could they do that? Sure, they've got a month. They, they've got a month to get this thing back on track, and at that point in time, that's when they need to be at their peak performance. But right now, what we've seen of late. I mean, eventually, it's no longer just these other teams are doing things that hurt the Blues. Eventually, it's the Blues. Like, how often are we going to say, yeah, man, that Arizona Coyotes matchup, that's, that's a rough one. Hey, man, that, that zone defense that the Kings throw out there against the Blues. 2-3 zone. It's giving them some issues, oh, right? Syracuse? Yep. Oh, now damn. we're talking about Vegas. They're just, ah, God, that team is good. Well, yeah, when you play against quality opponents, it's really hard to score. And so the Blues are running into it now where are we going to say the same thing about Colorado? Are we going to say the same thing about Minnesota? Because at that point, you've just said every team not named the Sharks that you've got up against this year, the Sharks and Anaheim, are a really tough matchup for the Blues. Okay, so the good teams in the division? That's that's where we're at. The good teams in the division are a hard matchup for the Blues. Yeah, that's how hockey works. I I think it's more about them now than it is about the opponent. I'm I'm at that point. I agree with you, but even in a month, I'm not sure the Blues can close this gap with Vegas. And I know what you're going to say, and I can already sense the text line saying, well, what about when they made the Stanley Cup run? They weren't playing well then. And I'm not, don't take me wrong here. I am not firing Baruby. But what happened was that team had a sparklet under them when they fired Mike Yo. And then when Baruby came in, he was able to get the culture turned around the culture's there. The team is there. The roster is here. The roster has Stanley Cup championship experience, and we're not seeing it. I, I I don't think that you can close this gap without either making a trade, and I'm not saying make a coaching change. So it's either make a trade and hope that something lights them there, or this, this team's not going anywhere. A trade doesn't make a difference, and frankly, I'm done with the narrative of this team's banged up, and, and that's it's, it's plaguing them. It, that's not an excuse anymore. I can't utilize the excuse of oh, this team's banged up and they can't compete with these top teams. They need Pareko. They need Barbashev back. Guys, that doesn't fix the problems. Colton Pareko is not going to be the only guy on the ice for 60 minutes taking the puck out of the blue zone. There's five other defensemen that need to get the puck out of the zone. Watch how many turnovers happened last night in that second period. You know what Vegas did against St. Louis? Every time the Blues had the puck on their stick and they hesitated, three guys went at that puck and they turned it over and they put the puck on net on Jordan Bennington. Pareko doesn't fix that. Barbashev doesn't fix it. I'm, I'm throwing things apparently because I'm getting frustrated. You can't use the excuse of, well, they need to be healthy. Guys, Sundquist is not coming back. Gunnarsson's not coming back. This is Tarasenko's back in the lineup. Schwartz is back in the lineup. Bozak's coming back. Thomas was back last night. They're healthy. 
This no longer has to do with guys. This more has to do with what Tanner just mentioned. It's confidence. Craig Berube said it post game last night. They don't have confidence in their game right now. It's the same thing that plagued them when they had to fire Mike Yo. And no, this has nothing to do with Craig Berube. Do not fire the head coach. No. This is the players. Yeah. Remember that independent contractor comment that we heard? I believe that was even prior to Mike Yo. I think that was in the Hitch era. Well, it was when Hitch was fired for Mike Yo, and then it was Mike Yo being fired for Craig Berube. And at that point, Doug Armstrong said, hey, there's no more excuses for these players. You're either going to have to play well or we're going to find somebody who will, basically. He said, I'm not firing another head coach. And this is now, it's coming down to the players again. they got to play better. It, it really is that simple. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, Tanner. Pacioretty and Petro weren't on the ice last night for the Vegas Golden Knights. They were more banged up than the Blues were. They had bigger, more important players that were not on the ice last night than the St. Louis Blues. So it's not about the health. That was about one team being deeper, better, stronger with the puck than the other team. And the team that showed out was the team that's been better all season long. And it was the Vegas Golden Knights. So the Blues have to do something. And I don't know what it is. This is the frustrating part is I don't know what fixes this other than inside of that locker room. Them getting back to their game. Because it's the same issues that we're talking about night after night after night. It's the turnovers. It's the lackadaisical passes through the neutral zone. It's not finding a way to just chip the puck out of their own zone. That was the biggest thing to me watching last night, Alex. If you just compared the way that the Vegas Golden Knights, two things, their passes through the neutral zone, how crisp they are, tape to tape every time, every single time, and the way that they were able to get the puck successfully out of their zone when they needed to, every single time. Mm -hmm. Compare that to the way that the Blues did those two things, and it's not just in that one game, but that was symbolic of the season. Man, it's it's hard to not see the gap between the two. Well, teams. go back and watch the game against the Sharks Friday and Saturday. I mean, the Blues didn't try and bounce the puck off the boards and out of the zone. They skated the puck out of the zone. That's when they're at their best. And from the six three six, first of all, Pareko, Sunquist, Barbashev, Bozak, significant players for several reasons. Blues have talent, not always that compete for some reason. Blues top six very strong, not talent. They have that. Also, three top players just came back and not at their best. You guys really don't know hockey. Look, Tarasenko and Schwartz shouldn't be relied upon to fix the problems. They are a part of it, and frankly, I thought their line was really good last night. Tarasenko, Schwartz, and Shen were creating offense. It was the only line that was really good last night. But to sit here and say that Pareko and Barbashev and Bozak fixed the problems, yeah, it's going to tidy up some of the issues. But again, Colton Pareko is going to pair with one other guy. The other five defensemen, go look at the guys who were on the ice last night for when Vegas scored goals. Two of them were Jake Wallman and Robert Bortuzzo. The other two were Vince Dunn and Marco Scandella. And then one was Justin Falk and Tori Krug. If I'm putting Colton Pareko in that lineup, correct me if I'm wrong, BK, Pareko's going with Scandella. Dunn's dropping down to Bortuzzo. Well, uh, those guys were three of those five goals that were scored. And we'll get into this later. As much as we're talking about the struggles with turnovers and the pucks in their own zone and not being able to create more offense, we're going to have to get to the goaltending as well. Because as much as I've tried to defend it, we got to get there eventually. uh, I know. And as much (laughs) as I've tried to defend it, and I do still believe that it's not all on the goaltending. But the numbers aren't great for Jordan Bennington, and I think he gave us the perfect example last night of him being in his own head when he allowed that last goal and tried to take a hack at one of the Vegas Golden Knights guys. You can't do that this often. 
eventually it gets annoying. It's like two in two weeks. Even to your own team. Like, it's always annoying to the other team. Eventually, it starts rubbing your own teammates the wrong way, especially when you're the goalie that's supposed to have a totally calm net front presence. It looks like it was in Bennington's head last night. It, It looked like, and it wasn't all on him. It was not all on him. The defense in front of him was not good enough. But there were some juicy rebound attempts as well that he was giving up that he... It can't happen. We'll get into that further later on today. We've got Jeremy Rutherford to answer some of our Blues questions coming up at 1130. Much more on the Blues throughout this morning. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. It's 1115. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next. So hold on. The Cardinals are trying who in the outfield again? Tell you. Coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You know, I think, like you say, you got a better chance of seeing um, Dylan in center. You know, Thomas has played mostly center, so he probably needs to get a little corner outfield work. You know, don't be surprised, don't overread anything into it, but, you know, Tommy Evans probably going to float out there at some point and get some work in the outfield as well. You know, we don't want to expose him and have a situation where we need him late in the game, double switch. And if we carry 12 position players, it may be a need for it as well. So, um, you know, don't be surprised to see Tommy out there at some point. Okay, so he said specifically there not to read too much into that. So let's go ahead and understand that. He put that disclaimer out there. Okay, now let's throw it to the side. Hold on. (laughs) Hold on a minute. So we've been talking for how many weeks now about how John Nagowski needs to get an opportunity to play in the outfield. And now they're going to go ahead and throw that opportunity out there for Tommy Edmond. Now, I wouldn't have a problem with this under normal circumstances because – Tommy Edmond should get opportunities in the outfield. He probably will play out there at some point this season, so it's good that they're giving him this chance. Hold on. Why? Why does Tommy Edmond need to get those reps in the outfield? Because if Harrison Bader fails, which is possible, they're going to probably put Lane Thomas at times into center field, and you might end up having some days where you need one of Dylan Carlson or Tyler O'Neill to have a day off, and you push to the outfield uh, Tommy Edmond on those days. But then wouldn't that be the reason why Harrison Bader is a bench player? On that day, sure. But that, that that's what they'll do here. They'll put Dylan Carlson in center, okay. and they'll have Tommy Sorry. Edmund in one of the corners. Sorry. So I, I actually sincerely do not have a huge issue with them giving Tommy Edmund a shot in the outfield. Here's what I do have a problem with, though. They have told us all along that the reason why John Nagowski is not getting that chance with the big league club right now in spring training is because they have such a cluttered outfield, there just aren't any at-bats for other guys to get opportunities. So now there is? Like now we have decided that because you're going to have a short bench, which we've known all along, now you're going to give Tommy Edmond a chance in the outfield. Like, where is the foresight on some of this stuff? And I like Mike Schiltz. I think he's a really good manager. And you guys know, I think John Mosellock is a tremendous, tremendous general manager, president of baseball operations. However, on this, I just disagree with the way that they've handled John Nagowski specifically you got to find out if he can play the outfield. And maybe the answer is no, and he stinks at it, and it looks like Matt Adams, and it's an absolute disaster. That's fine. But let's find out now where the games don't matter, and they're deciding on a whim, hey, we're going to go ahead and wave this one off. There's actually been one out in the inning, but we're going to call it three, right? Mm -hmm. We're good here. Or they go to seven innings, and the game's tied, and they're like, okay, we're done. Like, 
while these games do not matter at all, that's when you give him a shot to find out if he can play in the outfield, not in game 47 in the middle of May when you're going up against the Cubs in a series at Wrigley and you find out, oh, no, John Nagelski actually can't play the outfield and now we're screwed. Like the, this, That's what spring training's for. And they, in my opinion, they failed on this. And can, it's really frustrating to see. Can Nagelski play second base? No. You know who can play second base? Who's that? Matt Carpenter. Okay. That's exactly what they're doing. Are we sure? Well, I'm not sure. But that's exactly what they're doing. They're moving Tommy Edmond out there because they want to have that option so that Matt Carpenter can have those playing time at second base. Well, that's even worse. Like, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt here because I don't think that's what they're doing. I'm hoping that's not what they're doing. My hope is instead of Matt Carpenter, what they're actually trying to find out, I, I'm really interested. It's not happening today. Today, Tommy Edmond is at at second base. I'm fascinated to see who they have at second base in these days. When he's in the outfield, is it going to be Rondon? Is it going to be Edmundo Sosa? Or is it going to be Matt Carpenter? Because that will be unbelievably telling as to where they are in their roster decisions moving forward. It should be one of Rondon or Sosa when they do this. It should be. I don't mind Edmund in the outfield because hopefully that means it's a runway for Nolan Gorman to take that position. Maybe not this season, but next season. Hopefully that's that runway for the Cardinals prospect to be in that spot. And Tommy Edmond, if Bader, O'Neill, and or Thomas don't pan out, I'm okay with Tommy Edmond in the outfield. But it has to be Gorman or that's it. Because if Gorman's not playing second base, Tommy Edmond's my everyday second baseman. That's why we moved on from Colton Wong. Otherwise, why wouldn't you have brought back Colton Wong? I know the money. And then put Tommy Edmond as your fourth outfielder. That's that's the part that's frustrating. So it, it has to be it has to be Tommy Edmond at second base. Can I give you one other theory? One other theory on this. And again, I'm trying to give the Cardinals the benefit of the doubt here because this is a smart organization that does things for a reason. I believe all of those things, even though I'm frustrated about my guy, John Nagowski, not getting a shot in the outfield. One other possibility is that we're talking about the wrong camp battle. And Tanner's been right all along. I got to give credit where it's due. Yeah, not so terrible. Even though I don't want to. It's just terrible. What if they want to find out what Jose Rondon can do? And he is the guy that has the best chance to steal that last spot on the bench because he's also been really good in camp and he has flexibility across the infield. He can play second, maybe in a pinch. He could play short and he can definitely play third. I think he could play a corner outfield if you needed him to maybe, but probably second and third are his best spots. Someone's trying to squeeze a square peg into a round (laughs) hole right now. (laughs) Tell me about it. Um, He's batting 278 in camp. He's been really good. The biggest thing, he's got pop. He has an OPS of over 1,000 so far in camp with two triples and a homer. He's the guy that if they they want to find out what somebody else can do and they're finding out what Tommy Edmond can do in the outfield – it should be Jose Rondon, not Edmundo Sosa, not Matt Carpenter, who we know exactly what both of those guys are at this point. It should be Jose Rondon that's getting those at-bats. And I know, Tanner, that's something that you've probably been looking forward to all camp. Oh, yes, I'm glad someone else was with me on the Rondon train. Because I thought a week ago, maybe a week and a half ago, that we, we should start considering him over Sosa. Because, like you said, we know what we have in Sosa. Sosa is so-so. Exactly. Boom. Woof. No, oh, that was that's, a good not, one. that's not a boom. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, but Sosa hasn't hit the ball well. Sure, he's good defensively, but I haven't seen anything that says to me Rondon is like a Johnny Peralta at shortstop where he's 
okay. He's average. No, he's looked fine there at short. I think he's been above average. He's hitting the ball, as you mentioned. He's got the high OPS. He's got a homer, two triples. Now, the thing with Rondon is how much of this will carry over once he gets to the big leagues. He's been up before, I think, with three different teams, and he's hit about like 202, I want to say. <laughs> that hasn't been great. What was that? Carpenter's hit worse than that. I'd rather Fowler, call back Brad Fowler Miller. hit below 200. Yeah, but he's expensive. <laughs> Millsy's, Millsy's good now. Yeah. He's, he's, he's not good. dead. He's good, where he's, no, he's good where he moved on to, which was Philly. Yeah. He's good where he's moved on. Yeah, but I, I would put Rondon on this team. I would put Nagalski on this team. I <laughs> Combine not... those two aren't the reason why Matt Carpenter will make this team. I find it really interesting, though, that so far in camp, it's actually Rondon who has more appearances at the and plate at and bat. more at-bats and more games than Edmundo Sosa. Because Sosa was somebody that I was locking into this roster since he has no more options available. They're clearly trying to find out what Rondon can do. And in these situations, when you do send Tommy Edmond to the outfield, that's the guy, Jose Rondon, that should be getting the opportunities at second base. Because we know what Matt Carpenter is, and we'll talk more about that situation coming up later today. We know what Edmundo Soso is so far. I, I don't expect him to change. For him? Yeah, he's Soso. <laughs> um, he's fine. Like, he's... He's tofu. He 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 has. There's yeah, not a whole tofu. lot of flavor there. But if you put it with other things that are excellent, it will take on the flavor of those other things. No, um, no. it really won't. No, I think it could. Um, no. I I would prefer to see Rondon getting that last spot on the bench because there is upside to his bat. He at least can hit for power, and there's something there. Yeah. I would rather Nagowski would be my top pick for this. Then Rondon, then Edmundo Sosa, and now you're getting into the other guys that are out there like Justin Williams. We just got to find out about this option. We, and we still don't know, and it's late March. I'll get us Rondon jerseys. Do you even know what number he wears? Uh, uh, 27. I don't think that's right. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner <laughs> Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Questions and answers coming up in just about 15 minutes. Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider, We've got to get his thoughts on what went wrong for the Blues last night, how they correct this, and how much of their issues right now are still related to the injuries because I think we're starting to run out of time on that excuse. We'll talk to JR about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by our guy Jeremy Rutherford joining us here. He's the Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. JR, let's get right into things, man. Thanks so much for the time today. My biggest takeaway from the game last night, and I would be, I would love to hear yours, was we just saw the gap between a legitimate Stanley Cup contender and where the Blues stand today. What was your biggest takeaway from what was a big game last night for the Blues? I, I lost you a little bit, but uh, you're asking about the gap between uh, Vegas and the Blues, I believe, and, and I definitely think there is a gap. We've seen it in these past three games, uh, BK. And especially in the third period, you got tight games, all three of them, including the the pair on the 12th and 13th. And these past two in particular, one goal games, in fact, tied last night going into the third period. And the Vegas Golden Knights outscore the Blues 8-1 to in those third periods. So the Blues have a lot of issues, I think, uh, within themselves. But then when you look big picture at this division, it sure is going to be tough to get out of it. And and we're just looking at Vegas. You still have uh, Minnesota to play 
uh, eight out of your next 19 games beginning on Thursday. JR, we heard Craig Berube last night, which, I, I mean, these post games kind of get repetitive with the head coach because he's saying the same things, guys not buying in. But he used a word that uh, brought me back to Mike Yo being fired, and it was confidence. I remember that press conference, Craig Berube saying, we need to instill confidence back in these guys. Has this team lost that once again? Yeah, I think there's definitely an issue there, Alex. And, and I'm sure we'll get into the defensive play and the injuries and, and uh, you know, when guys will be back and how long it'll take them to kind of get in the in the mix. Uh, but I think the biggest thing, if you're looking at the Blues today after last night's game, it's the fact that Craig Bruby, who has been a tremendous communicator with this team, the players love the way he communicates with them. He's had to now in the span of about 10 days come out in the Zoom with media and say that uh, they're not pulling on the same rope. And then last night he says they're not a confident team. And then he says, maybe I need to coach better. We all need to play better. These are not things that are common for Craig Bruby to say. He has been somewhat outspoken in the past, but not to the point where, you know, every couple games he's bringing out a new line to, to talk about the way this team uh, is not playing the way it's capable of. JR, to follow up with that, and I want to preface this question by saying I don't believe this, but we have gotten a lot of messages about this. I hear about it on postgame an awful lot. Do you feel as if the team has started to quit on Craig Berube? I don't think so. I really don't. I know it's been a popular question here lately. Look, uh, you know, when coaches are around going into year two, year three, look, the shelf life on these coaches is generally about uh, four years before players start to tune a coach out. But look at all the turnover on this roster, all the new players uh, playing prominent roles when you look at Falk and Krug and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, I don't think that's the issue right now. I think it's a very difficult year. I think players are going through some extracurricular things with all the the uh, pandemic you know, structure to the schedule and the travel and so on and so forth. And I think you throw some losses on top of it. Uh, maybe this team isn't good on paper as it was uh, the past couple years, talking about the Stanley Cup run included. And, and I think it's been difficult for them. And so I think it's only natural uh, that when uh, these situations arise that you're going to start questioning the coach but but i still think in talking to these players that they have the utmost respect for him jr you mentioned the defensive play a little bit ago what's gone wrong there yeah it's just can't get the puck out of the zone and what's uh difficult here bk is that uh, they went through a couple games where it looked like it was back up to where they needed it to be and and, and i realized it was against san jose uh this vegas team look you can talk about the blues issues vegas is so good offensively uh they just come at you and you know you talk about the waves but they've just got skill and pressure coming at you non-stop and, and we saw it in that pair of games on the 12th and 13th we saw it again last night look they get that first goal kind of a, a fluky goal off the face off and through the legs of jordan bennington but who watching that game last night didn't feel like a goal was coming at some point and and so that's the case and then you look at that third period guys and i think that it's uh a situation where that's a point where you got to step up. It's a one-one game. This is a team you need to be able to compete with. This is uh, you've you've come off two wins. You're feeling good about yourself, and to have three shots on goal in the third period. But to me, uh, BK, it all goes back to to not being able to get the puck out of the zone. The Blues have the the puck on their stick a number of times throughout that game last night. They can't get it out, and it turns into extra opportunities for the Golden Knights. Jr. Does Colton Pareko fix those problems? I don't see how we can say that because uh, he's not healthy. Look, you know, you're, you're watching the video on Fox Sports uh, Midwest last night of him skating with the taxi squad, 
And sure, he might be doing a little more than he would be doing at Queenie Park, but uh, <laughs> not 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 much. And you know, I'm not in the building watching these workouts. Uh, but if the Blues are counting on Colton Pareko to come back, and and let's let's be honest here, like shutting him down and resting him might have helped his back, but it certainly didn't fix it. And you hope that he doesn't need surgery. So can he come back and get through and, and gut it out through the rest of the season and then get some extended rehab and time off in the offseason and come back and be close to the Colton Pareko that we know? Possibly. Uh, but look, even if he plays 22 minutes a night, what's going on the other uh, 48 minutes? Uh, you know, the, the Blues have to do a better job of playing that five-man unit like we saw in the San Jose games. We're talking to Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. JR, I'm, I want to be very clear on the front end of this question so nobody takes it the wrong way. I am not blaming Jordan Bennington for what happened last night because he did not get any help in front of him. However, uh, there was a goal that was scored against, I believe it was the last one, where... He reacted, and it looked like he was getting ready to go over to another, another player, kind of gave him a shimmy. It it seems to me, I know that armchair quarterbacking here, it was in his head a little bit last night. What have you seen from Bennington's performance of late, and what did you see specifically from him last night? Well, he's not, he's not uh, making some of the saves that we've seen him make time and time again the past couple of years. Uh, there's just one a game or so that are getting in where you're thinking, ouch, you know, and, you know, we, we've seen that with Billy Huso early in starts, but this is a different story. This is Jordan Bennington. And, and I think that uh, you should be able to count on him to make those types of saves. It looks like he got surprised on that first goal off the faceoff uh, through the legs. And then I did see the video. I did see the video of what you guys were talking about after one of those third period goals it almost looks like he went to go chop the pile of uh, Vegas Knights players celebrating in the corner. You know, I can tell you the best decision Jordan Bennington has ever made in his life was to not follow through on whatever he was doing there because that would that would have just been disaster. Here's a guy who just uh, got in a scrum with uh, the San Jose Sharks a few uh, weeks ago. And, and so, look, you can't continue to add to that type of reputation. So obviously we all get frustrated. He certainly looked frustrated in that situation and why wouldn't he be with uh, the way that third period turned out you know things uh, for him lately haven't been great so it's great to be frustrated but turn that into uh, stopping pucks if you're the goaltender getting the puck out of the zone if you're uh, the defenseman and the forwards and that's what the blues aren't doing right now jr uh, i want to go back to the defense because we talked about the struggles right now and it's not just the defensemen i mean the forwards are a part of this as well and getting the puck out of their own zone but do you feel like a lot of these issues come from them being smaller stature compared to a lot of people go back to that cup season when it was edmondson and pareko and bowmeister and petrangelo if that is the problem, do the Blues need to adjust their identity, or is this just something that might take some time to get acclimated with? Yeah, it's too late. They've made their bed with this uh, defense, and uh, you know I still think it can be a good one. This isn't a negative. It's just uh, you know I said this a week or two ago that you know each player that they brought in, it was a different circumstance. I don't think Doug Armstrong ever sat down and said, "Hey, let's go out and get a small defense." I just think that you know you have Pareko, you have uh, Petrangelo. You go out and you get a Justin Falk kind of as backup, thinking maybe uh, if you lose Petrangelo, which then, of course, did happen, but now Falk's on the roster and for long term. 
and then you lose Petrangelo, you go out and you get Tory Krug because he's the best available. Hey, if there's some six foot three defenseman, you know, a Petrangelo tight, maybe you go to get him, but you go get Krug, and now you find yourself with a with a Falk and a, and a Krug and a Dunn, and don't forget you have Petrangelo uh, coming on the way. So this is just a different looking defense than we've seen in the past few years. But the one thing I keep emphasizing is they ought to be able to move the puck and and, and get it up ice and work with the forwards. And, and it doesn't mean they can't shoot it either. Fox got a great shot. Krug's got a great shot. But we just don't see that transition. We don't see them creating plays off those shots. And so to me, this defense can work, even though it looks completely different than a couple of years ago. But they're just not playing to their strengths and executing like I think Doug Armstrong and his staff envision. JR, it's a fascinating story to continue following because this is certainly not the way that we all anticipated the blue season going. We'll be following your work over at The Athletic. We will certainly be following you on Twitter as well, at JP Rutherford. Always appreciate the time, my friend. Looking forward to talking with you again next week. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. You got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on 101 ESPN. So I just went through, Alex, while we were talking to JR, and I looked up the record for the Blues against each opponent so far this year because I think this is instructive of where the Blues are at right now. I think I can guess these off the top of my head. Against <laughs> Vegas. Uh, one, one, two, and one. One, two, and one on the year. Colorado. One and one. One and one on the year. Against L.A. L.A. would be... Two one no one two four and one two four and one oh so yeah far that's right against LA yeah. Arizona Arizona's two two and three 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 and one is Arizona wow. on the year okay. you got San Jose they're five, five one, one and two. two and then Anaheim they're four and zero oh so far this year <laughs> that's very telling with the two bottom teams you're nine one and two combined against San Jose and Anaheim and you're basically a five hundred hockey team against everybody else in your division and I hate to say this. I don't hate to say this because it's true. Minnesota is the exact comp of all of those other teams that you have sub 500 records against. It's a 500 hockey team. Yep. What we're watching is when they go against quality opponents, they'll win some, they'll lose some. They're mostly in between. They're going to have games where they infuriate you. They're going to have games where it's like, oh my God, look at that. Would you call it the Schwarzenko? No, Schwarzenko. 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 The Schwarzenko line is going to dominate. I'm missing seven teeth, and I can say this. <laughs> Ryan O'Reilly is going to do some things that are just like it's dazzling to you. Right. This team is maddening because it's a 500 hockey club. Yep. That's where they are right now. They can be better than that. They have the talent that they should be better than that but so far this season they have proven to you exactly what they are they're a 500 hockey club that when they play against better opponents they struggle at times and when they play against the worst teams in the division there's two of them san jose and anaheim they're really 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 good they've got to be better the rest of the season alex is more about them than it is about who they're going up against because the schedule is going to get tough but it's more about the Blues than it is about Minnesota, Colorado, or Vegas. Right now, it comes down to the word confidence. And it's what Craig Bruby, as I cited there with Jeremy Rutherford, it's what Craig Bruby needed to instill in these guys when he took over as the head coach. It's what led into last season being the top team in the Central Division. And it's what this team is lacking right now, which is why I'm done with the excuse of, well, these guys are injured. Because again, Colton Pareko doesn't fix these problems. He makes you a better team but you still lack confidence on the ice with those other 20 players. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 10 minutes, the Cardinals have a huge decision looming on one of their key players. How much does being a legacy player play into that? We'll talk about it about that in 10 minutes. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers is coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
got questions, we may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. is the air comfort service tax line for questions and answers. All right, I'm going to answer this question because we're getting a lot of this, and I get it. It's one of the biggest stories in sports. Matt Carpenter being on the roster. We'll get into that in about 10 minutes. Oh, okay. We're getting a lot of questions like this, and listen, I know there are a lot of people that want to talk about this. It is not an easy topic to discuss, and frankly, that's why you're not hearing it discussed a lot on sports stations right now. You're going to ESPN, all the debate shows. There's nothing to debate because we don't know what happened here. So from the 980, Guys, what do you think is happening with these Deshaun Watson allegations? Are these real? What are your thoughts? And what does it mean for his trade uh, candidacy? Okay. I'll say this, and then we're going to move right on from this. It seems to me there are only two paths that this can go down. Either the allegations are true, and if they're true, Deshaun Watson is a sicko who shouldn't play football again. Or the allegations are completely false and baseless, And if that is true, Deshaun Watson's got a case that this is defamation against his character. I don't think there's any in between now because there are now 14 lawsuits that have been brought up against Deshaun Watson. You guys can go read the details of them. They are concerning. And again, if they are true, he shouldn't play football again. But we don't know if they're true or not. And right now, you got to let this process play out a little bit. What does it mean for his trade candidacy? I don't think you can trade for him right now. If I'm another team, I I just can't I can't take that on. There are just so many questions about what this means for his future in the NFL. So that's where I'm at on that. If there's more stuff that comes out, we'll continue talking about it. But right now, that's all we got. We just don't know if it's true or not. So that's where we are. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Uh, guys, big question about the Blues is, were we wrong about the talent on this roster? Is it just not as talented of a roster as we thought? No, because I think that's when you can use the excuse, if you want to call it an excuse, of these guys being injured. I mean, think about it. Vladimir Tarasenko hasn't played a hockey game since October of last year. He's not going to come back and be the Vladdy Tarasenko, although he's picking up points basically in every single game since he's returned. Jaden Schwartz missed 15 game, 14 games. Looks great, but he's not going to have the scoring touch. When you miss a significant amount of time, you don't just come back in and be like, oh, well, I'll pick right back up where I left off. I'll be a 60-point guy. Not going to happen. It's going to take you some time to get acclimated. Robert Thomas, I mean, he looked great last night, but his skating looked great. The other aspects of the game, a couple of passes were off with Mike Hoffman. He was passing into the skates of his line mates. You could see the frustration from Robert Thomas. So, No, this team is still very talented. That doesn't change. You still have multiple 30-goal scorers on this team. You still have a very strong defense, and you still have one of the top goaltenders in the National Hockey League. It's just right now, everyone's confidence is gone, heads dip, and as soon as one thing happens, game over. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 314. Guys, if the Blues were to miss the playoffs this season, then what happens in the offseason for them? What changes need to be made? Oof, that's a great question. If um, this team ends up fifth, let's say they end up fifth in the division and they're right outside looking in LA gets that fourth spot. And then the other four teams or the other three would be Minnesota and then Colorado Vegas. Then what? Well, here's the thing. You're not changing your goaltender situation. You know, maybe you look at it as we need a better backup, but I don't think Ville Husso is the reason you're sitting in this position right now. Uh, you're locked into your defense. 
Krug, Falk, Scandella, Pareko. Hopefully Pareko is going to be healthy enough next season. Those top four, you're not going to change much. Maybe you get depth pieces. Maybe you try and move on from a Marco Scandella contract, but you can't do much there. The forward's the interesting part because David Perron's not the issue. Ryan O'Reilly's definitely not the issue. You got Shen. You got Schwartz. You got Tarasenko. Kyrou Thomas Thomas. the issue. Your fourth line's not the issue. Kyle Clifford. I mean, you got some of these younger players. It's not so much personnel. Like, it's not like you can move on from a player and say, okay, we're fixed. It's it's more a buy-in from the group of guys. And, and, and this is the it's difficult. It's almost worse. It is. But this is the difficult part about running a, an organization or running a pro sports team. You got to make sure you have the right mesh of players. And if you don't, you have to adjust. And you're talking about the mindset, the personality, the skill. It's all of it. It's not mm-hmm. just what they do on the ice. It's also what it's like in the clubhouse, yeah. the locker room, like all, all of these things. Look at what they've done it. with Tampa. I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning are a great example. This is a team that's always great, but never able to a- accomplish that cup. Remember, they were bounced in the first round in 1819 after being the best team in the NHL, setting records. They didn't change much. They went out and got a guy named Pat Maroon, who maybe he's that is a lot more important than what we thought. They added a couple of depth pieces, but they stuck with what they got, and they finally bought in, and they won the Stanley Cup. The Blues were that way. Blues were that way. <laughs> Before they won. You just, I, I'm so sick of the excuse of, well, the coach isn't working, and JR's right. Like, they have a short lifespan in pro sports, especially in hockey. The, the, the message gets stale after two or three years, and then people are like, well, fire the coach, get somebody else. It's not the problem. You just got to make sure you have the right culture. And they do. It's just right now they're not buying into it. I'd agree with that. I mean, you're not bought into it. But I wonder, like, if we talk about the problem of not buying into it and that's on the players, it really brings up the question of do you consider moving on from some of your guys, some of your top-end talent, if you miss the playoffs? So yeah. here's something. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 314. Guys, do you think the Blues would consider trading Mike Hoffman or Zach Sanford at the trade deadline? That is something that I find really interesting because as we went through and we tried to go, what do the Blues do when they're healthy, when they get everybody back? What do these lines look like for St. Louis? The tough one is that Robert Thomas line. Because I think what you're going to end up with there is Robert Thomas with Jordan Cairo. That's going to be the pairing, I think. Who is that third line mate with them? I don't like Mike Hoffman on that line. I don't. I don't think he fits with what they need. I think, frankly, Ivan Barbashev actually fits that line a lot better as their left wing. If you want to go that route... I would say Tyler Bozak fits that line better on the wing. Sure. Because you need a veteran with two young players. Either way, the the stylistic play that those those guys have, they both make a lot more sense than a guy like Mike Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Hoffman served his purpose. I I would be interested in seeing what you can get for him at the deadline. I really would. Hoffman? And, yeah. Because I just don't know that he fits with what they're going to need moving forward. His The reason why they brought in Mike Hoffman is we need a scoring punch while Vladimir Tarasenko is out. With Vladdy being back in the lineup now, I don't know moving forward when everybody's healthy that you have a great spot to put Mike Hoffman in. And I don't know that he fits entirely with what they do. Here's why I don't see the Blues making a deal. And frankly, I don't know if we're going to see a lot of deals this trade deadline. Put a tweet out, of course, NHL Network, former general manager. He said what he's hearing from a lot of general managers around the National Hockey League is teams are trying to decide is it worth the price of acquiring a player who you're going to lose in the upcoming expansion draft? And I think for Doug Armstrong, if I'm looking at my team, one piece is not going to fix this. 
if you want to ship a Mike Hoffman off to get a draft pick, okay, but... I was thinking more like a, a depth defenseman. Like a, a bigger... I, I don't know who this player is, but maybe it's somebody that needs a little scoring punch and you need a little bit more depth on the defense maybe. and get a, a bigger stature guy that is going to bring a little more physicality. Like it, it really is just kind of a change of scenery type of thing. They need this. You need that. I think something like that, a deal like that could make some sense for the Blues. Uh, maybe. I, I think you could probably look for something like that, but I would have... I would argue Doug Armstrong's viewing it as, well, we got this guy for $4 million. He's a 30-goal scorer in the NHL. He makes us a better team. But does he? That's the question you got to ask. And then with Zach Sanford, I mean, if if I'm a general manager, I'm going to keep those assets because those might be opportunities for me to save another player on my roster by trying to entice them to get this player, if that makes sense. I was thinking of this a little bit last night, too. I, I think you should heavily consider or not heavily, but I would consider moving Hoffman just because like you said, BK, does he really fit into the system? No. Do you really think you're going to bring him back next year? I highly doubt that. So why not kind of just flip him for something? It's better to get something in return rather than lose something and not get anything back. But that I, I hear that. And I remember people saying that in the 2018, 19 season. And by no means am I comparing the two seasons thinking the blues are going to go on a run. But if you're right on the cusp of being in a playoff spot, if you're a fourth spot and you're battling L.A. and Arizona for one of those, does Mike Hoffman really make you better to get that second round draft pick or a defenseman who might not play on your roster? Or does he make you better playing on a line with Robert Thomas and trying to find chemistry in a playoff? I don't think I would trade him for a draft pick. I'm not all that interested in the draft pick, frankly. Um, But if somebody is willing to give me whether it be a four-checking presence as a third-line player that fits what we need better, or if they're willing to give me basically a sixth defenseman or a fifth defenseman uh, among those pairings that is bigger and stouter in front of the net and will give me a little bit of physicality and fits my locker room a little better, I I would consider that now. And it's not a shot against Mike Hoffman. I think he's a pretty good player. He did the job that he was brought here to do, and he did it pretty darn well. He had some game-winning goals for this team that kept them in this thing. I think now it's really hard for me to find his spot in the lineup. When this team gets back to being fully healthy, it's really hard for me to say he makes a lot of sense in that lineup in that spot. I think they just, I, they, with Vladdy and Perron and Kairou playing the way that they have, I don't know that he makes a whole lot of sense moving forward. And so I, I would get somebody that helps me now. That's the way that I would look at it. If he can't, we'll keep Hoffman and you move forward. Mm-hmm. But I, that's the way that I would be looking at it. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Speaking of keeping a player that might have overstayed his welcome, what do we do with Matt Carpenter, guys? Starting to get tough, and the Cardinals are going to have a really difficult decision to make here. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Am I concerned? Um, not overly. I think Carp's more than capable of being a productive player for us and expecting to be just that. Um, is it weighing on him? I can't speak for him, but he's doing it with a good attitude. He took a you know good or bad hit one ball hard at somebody again, which is, you know, I don't think he's where he wants to be and done what he has wanted to do in total this spring. I think he's done a lot of things really well, adapted to going look in another position. And he's played some nice plays defensively, but, you know, I think he would probably be the best person to answer that. That was Mike Schilt yesterday when asked about a difficult spring training, let's be honest, for Matt Carpenter. It has not been what he expected it to be. He had another two strikeouts yesterday. He is now one for 29 this spring with 13 strikeouts. 
He's basically striking out every other at-bat. He has one hit in his 29 at-bats so far this spring. Now, to take you guys behind the curtain a little bit, Tanner, basically every day after our show, comes into our office, Alex, and says to me, hey, here's what's happening or what happened in the Cardinals game that I think would be interesting to talk about yesterday. He's great with this. He's got his martini, and he's like, nothing. Don't worry about it, man. Martini. It's a Long Island. Every little thing is going to be all right. And I tell him, hey, does does that guy have a track record? If so, a positive track record, right? Mm-hmm. Nolan Arenado, uh, Jack Flaherty, uh, Paul Goldschmidt. I don't care what they're doing in spring. I couldn't tell you what their numbers are. I do not care. Wake me up in June. If they are struggling then, then we can talk about Wake it. But in the meantime. When September ends. Sorry. When spring training ends. Nice. That's basically how I feel about it. Matt Carpenter's different. He does have a track record. However, his track record is bad. It's been very, very bad for about two years now. The last time he was a quality major league hitter was 2018. A lot's changed since then. Um, And so as you go into spring training this year, for me, he needed to prove that he can still play. And so far, he has done the opposite. It's been real bad for him. So bad that yesterday, as I was listening to the fast lane on my way home, Alex, I heard Brad Thompson. I heard it talking about what the options are for the Cardinals. And when BT is talking about what the Cardinals options are with you, it ain't going well. If you just watch him this spring and you say in your heart of hearts, as big of a fan as the organization is of Matt Carpenter and, and what he's done, I know that Schilty uh, loves not just the player, but the guy, so does Mo. And you say, man, that right there, that can't help our club. Like as good of a guy as he is in the room, uh, that still can't help our club. You got two options. One is the one that you talked about. You buy it out for the $20.5 million because there is the option on the back end of that, and you hang with him. That's a lot of money that the Cardinals would be eating this year because you, you bought him and you bought up Dexter Fowler, too, to provide playing time for some of the younger guys. The other option I was thinking of is he has an injury, and then he goes and rehabs it. Same idea, right, but without okay. the we released you because you're paying him his money either way. Yeah, it's... I mean, it, frankly, it is to that point, and I mean, that would suck for Matt Carpenter, I'm sure. I mean, that takes some pride away from a guy like that, but still, that sucks. Now, a texter from 314 is saying, you have to pay him either way. Put him down in AAA and see if he can work some things out. You got to DFA him, and I, he has to accept it. If he if he doesn't accept being DFA'd, it becomes an outright release, and you just pay him his $20 million to go on his merry way. Yep. It, it's tough, man, because... As much as we want to make this easy and we're just we're on the outside looking in. Right. And we're like, hey, he's not one of the 26 best players. He shouldn't make the roster. I I get it. I understand if that's your philosophy on this. But the Cardinals have 20.5 million reasons to consider this even further and even more than the money. And that's a big part of this conversation. Let's not forget that. It's also the legacy. When they announced the Matt Carpenter extension. They announced it by saying it is important for us to keep our legacy players here in St. Louis, and Matt Carpenter is one of those legacy players. They said the same thing about him that they have said about uh, Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina. So, yeah, it matters the way that they handle this, and they're not going to do this coming out of spring training. I'd be stunned if Matt Carpenter is not on the opening day Mm -hmm. roster. Absolutely stunned, and I get it. You want to see if there's any way that maybe there's lightning in a bottle, right, and suddenly it clicks for him. And so you'll give him some opportunities in April and then into May. But we are going to come to a point in time, and maybe it's like June 1st, where, okay, Carp's one for 13. 
It's not working for him. He doesn't have enough value defensively, and we got to do something here. And that's where I find it really interesting of how do they handle that with the legacy side of things. The part that, and BT would be able to speak to this more than I would because he knows the ongoings of the manager and the the president of baseball operations. But I think for Matt Carpenter's future, it comes down to Mike Schilt. Like, as much as we want to say, well, John Mozeliak needs to do this, Mike Schilt is going to tell John Mozeliak what players are going to benefit him to be on this ball club to start the season. Moda terms the 26. I, but Mike Schilt's got just as much of a say in it, I would Schilt imagine, too. Schilt plays. And so Schilt will decide but if don't Matt you Carpenter's think, in his lineup. But don't you think Schilt goes to John Mozeliak and says, Mo, I know you want to do this 26, but this guy is going to help us win more than this guy sure, would. Sure, he sells him on stuff, but ultimately that decision lies with John Mozeliak. Yeah. Mo is the one that makes the roster decisions. Schilt is the one that makes the day-to-day decisions. It's just too hard for me to imagine a scenario that Carpenter is not on this team until you hit the June or July mark, where you you have to go from, okay, we're just going to compete and take it day by day, right? It's a, it's a marathon. Mm-hmm. It's not a race. They're saying all the right things. It, it, it's going to determine of, okay, now we are transitioning into postseason mindset. Where do we sit? If we have a nice gap in the NL Central, things are going well. You know, guys are throwing water on each other's faces in the dugout. Okay, then maybe the salsa is a little spicy right now and things are working. But if things aren't going well and the Cubs and the Brewers have a, a commanding lead over you and it just heads aren't right, that's where I think you get to the point where you're both sides and you say, look, we wanted this to work. He's a legacy player. He will be a legacy player. We'll remember Matt Carpenter in St. Louis, but we got to move on. And I think that also determines on what these other guys do in the minors, in the satellite camp. Like if John Nagowski ends spring training hitting 400 and then goes to the satellite camp and continues to crush, he's going to force the hands of a guy who's been on the bench and he's not getting calls, whereas Justin Williams is coming off of the bench. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. You can't. At some point, we're going to get to it where they have to go to Carpenter and they have to say, you know what, it's not working. We're going to have to move on. And I, to me, you, they really put themselves in a bind with the, this legacy player thing. I don't really buy into that as much. I understand where the Cardinals are coming from and they don't want to let go of a quote-unquote legacy player, a guy that's going to be around the organization when he's retired. I think you could, if you were to release Matt Carpenter in spring training, I think it would be understandable from both sides. I, I think Carpenter would look at that and say, you know what, I didn't perform. They have every right to do this. And I think I think the Cardinals' ownership should step in and do that. I, I don't think they will. I'm it's not saying they're going million to. $20 million, man. I, I, I mean, you I moved on from Fowler. I mean, you, you basically traded Fowler to just pay him to go play for the Angels. You're right. You're right. I, there's truth to that, but eating money like this, Teams do not have no. a big appetite for it, especially in a pandemic. Twice in one off season, who boy, teams really don't have an appetite for that. What would that be? That'd be like thirty-two million, thirty-three million dollars, yeah. basically. That you're 35. eating thirty-five. Oof. And let's not forget, they did it was it last season or two seasons ago when they let go of Brett Cecil. That was two seasons ago, wasn't it? And they did it four seasons ago with Johnny Peralta. And this is the one that I want to bring up for you guys as a comparison. Johnny Peralta was released by the Cardinals on June 13th of 2017. Now, Peralta was not the same caliber of player for the Cardinals as Matt Carpenter, but he was a good one, and he was an important player for some really good Cardinals teams over those years. And injuries took their toll, and it was over. It was over quicker than anybody expected it to be for Johnny Peralta. He couldn't hit anymore. His bat was too slow. And honestly, at the end, it looked a lot like Matt Carpenter the last year or so. 
So if you're looking for a target date on when something like this could happen, look at it right around mid-June. That's what happened with Johnny Peralta, and I bet you that's around the time when if something's going to happen with Matt Carpenter, that's probably right around when it would happen. They're going to give him opportunities up until then, but I bet you they give him about two months to be able to figure things out first. Yeah, and the other part for of better me, or worse. the other part of me too, and I know this does doesn't make fans happy, but it comes down to his impact in the clubhouse too. And I know that has nothing to do with the ball club on the field. And if he's not hitting, he shouldn't be a part of this team. But if he makes things light, if he's a person in the clubhouse that makes things a little bit better, that might make things a lot more difficult for the Cardinals to pull the trigger on DFAing or getting rid of him. Because if Nolan Arenado loves being around him and Paul Goldschmidt loves being around him, I wonder if that goes into the consideration too. This is a scale, right? And on one side of the scale, you've got the production and the roster spot. That that is that is the scale that is weighing down right now that a lot of fans are saying that is so heavy on that side that it doesn't matter what you put on the other side. But for the Cardinals, the other side of this scale that is kind of right now tilting towards the, the production and the, the roster spot side also has twenty point yeah. five million dollars. It has legacy player on it. It has. Yeah, but what about what he does in the clubhouse like you just said, Alex, and face of the franchise type of stuff, all of these different things. That's on the other side of the scale. And so there will come a point in time. I don't know when that date is, but there will come a point in time when the production in the roster spot becomes so much more important that it outweighs everything else. And forget the money. Forget what he's done for St. Louis over the years. Forget all of that. Eventually, you need that roster spot and you need somebody to produce. There will come a day for that. It's just a matter of when that date comes. And that's what that's what is on John Mosaylock over the next weeks, months, days. Mm-hmm. That's what he has to determine. I'm sure they're talking about these same things internally right now as we are. And they're trying to wonder, hey, if, if this gets better, we're good. But if it doesn't, we need to have these discussions now so we know what our plan is. I, they definitely have <laughs> a plan. I can tell you that much. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's play a game of bet it or forget it coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. All right, guys. So there was a big news yesterday out of college football, the NFL, the Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith, decided I'm I'm resting on my laurels. I don't need to show you how fast I run. You know I'm fast. You saw me out sprint all of these SEC defensive backs on my way to a Heisman Trophy. You know what I can do on a football field. Saw him pose too. I'm, I'm okay with that. He decided to do that. He also revealed that he weighs 170 pounds, which is the same amount that I weigh. Wow. Boys, BK. I'm not out here playing professional to get on a football. Whoa, easy Whoa. there. Um, <laughs> come on now. Uh, I know right. I got some skinny fat, but easy there. It's all right. I weigh, skipping the greens. It's okay. I weigh 165. Don't worry. BK. I'm pretty sure my legs are roughly the same size as Devontae Smith's. We you did send a, a picture season. of you side by side with Devontae Smith to us, and you said, I look just like him. Wow, glad that I was not in the, the NFL. Chat. I have the same legs as Devontae Smith and Dylan Carlson. Did he just we're, send we're that to you? We're all in the same... We're all in yeah, the same category. It was it was weird too. Like there yeah. was it was just banana hammock style. Okay. It was a really uncomfortable. Well, you picture. Be careful with that stuff. Um, the reason why I bring this up, bet it or forget it, Devontae Smith will still become an NFL top ten wide receiver despite the fact that he only weighs 170 pounds. Forget it. 
Henry Ruggs was the exact same. And how's Henry Ruggs doing? Not great that Ooh. first year. Yeah, not great. A lot of dropped passes, a lot of missed routes. I'm not the 170 pound wide receivers. Once they get to the NFL, and again, I have never played football, so I have no <laughs> inkling about any of this, but it doesn't match up with guys like DeAndre Hopkins and Kenny Galladay and Juju Smith-Schuster who can create separation. There's spots for Tyree Kills, but you got to be on the right team with the right play scheme and the right head coach to make you a top 10 wide receiver. There have been a total of two wide receivers taken in the first round that weighed less than 175 pounds in the last 20 years. Tavon Austin had a big one. He was terrible. The other is Hollywood Brown for the uh, Baltimore Ravens. Those are the only two receivers the size of... Um, Devontae Smith that were taken in the first round in the last 20 years. And what are they saying in Baltimore right now? You got to go out and get yourself another wide receiver, an established wide receiver. I don't think it works being a top 10 guy when you're that small. Now, for what it's worth, Deshaun Jackson was around this same size, 5'10", 170 pounds. Yeah, those he's six been, games were great. He's been really good in his don't NFL career. Um, was but, he good, though, as a receiver? Was he is yeah. he is he known for the, the punt returns and the kick returns? Deshaun Jackson had some really good years early in, in his career. He has one, two, three, four, five, one thousand yard seasons. He a really good, successful NFL career. No, no shots against Desha- uh, Deshaun Jackson here. But if that's the only guy that I can compare you to, you in trouble. I'm forgetting it. I I don't think he's going to be a top 10 NFL receiver because he's just too small to become that. I agree with that. I'll forget it. I'm not going to say he's going to be like a Tavon Austin. Oh, gosh. Bad memory. I think he's going to be a fine player. I think he's going to be a fine player. I don't think he'll ever get to top 10, top 25, maybe. See, I think he's going to be Tavon Austin. Really? You think he's just going to flame out? I think he's going to become a a specialist rather than a wide receiver for a team. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for bet it or forget it. So this has been so far the most unpredictable tournament that we have probably ever seen. The sum of all of the seeds that are remaining. So the teams that are remaining, if you look at the number next to that them, sounded like a math up. problem. I know it's the highest that it's ever been in the sweet 16. But we still have three number one seeds remaining in this tournament. Bet it or forget it. Despite all the topsy turvy nature of this tournament so far. There will be a number one seed that wins this thing. Bet it. I I'm, I can't say I'm sticking with it because I picked Illinois. Damn it. But Gonzaga, I've thought they were going to go undefeated. It, it's rare when you get to this point and you can have a perfect season. I think now that Iowa's gone, there's a path to that final four for Gonzaga. Oh, for sure. And I think there's an easy path for the championship. If it is Loyola, as a, I think a lot of people are expecting it from that side. Yeah, I'm going to bet it. I, I think Gonzaga still wins this thing. They've looked unstoppable in their first two games. Oklahoma had no answer for them. And then, of course, their 16 seed had no answer either. So I'll say bet it. I think Gonzaga still wins this thing. I think it's going to be Baylor coming from one side of this. They look excellent so far in this tournament. Um, and their path is pretty clear. They've got Villanova in their next game in the Sweet 16. They'll have the winner of Arkansas, Oral Roberts. I like Arkansas. They can't play with Baylor. That's not a good matchup. Oral for them. Roberts can. Oral Roberts will take Baylor down in the first half. Bet on it. I'm betting it. I think you're going to see a number one seed. Despite all of these upsets, it has been great. The first weekend of the tournament was excellent. Last night kind of stunk. We can all we can all agree on that, right? Yeah, the other games than the were guy who said UCLA was going to make a run after that uh, play-in game. That glad they you won. listened to me. I'm glad you listened to me.
I did not agree with I that I didn't take. pick them in my bracket either, so. <laughs> I was so unbelievably wrong on that. God, they've been good. I'm learning a lot about myself when it comes to brackets. I say things confidently on the air, and then I go against those when I decide to actually put pen to paper. I think all three of us really did that this, yeah. uh, this year. Yeah. They, we, we really did. All of we, these we, upsets. we said Texas. Oh, they can't. Nah, they, yeah. They're on upset watch, but then we all took them. I said Georgetown's going to make it to the Final Four, and look, they... Oh. Nope. Nah. Mm-hmm. Now nah, you want to take two on that one. Nah. Take three. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. This one comes from the 314. Guys, bet it or forget it. Carlos Martinez finishes the season in the Cardinals rotation. Ugh. Bet it. Because he's not going to be a closer. Right now there's a line for that. It's Reyes, Hicks, Gallegos. I don't think he'll be a setup man because you've got a line for that. And I don't think he'll be a long arm out of that bullpen because you'll have Ponce there. I think sooner or later you'll put Gant back there. I think the only spot for him is the rotation, especially with the uncertainty of injury. So I'd say bet it. I'm going to forget it. I, I think we're going to see Seamart out of the rotation with in about a month or two. His velo is down. I think Gant could solidify as a fifth starter when everybody's healthy. Hey, he's still thrown in the low 90s. Yeah, he can't be doing that as a starter. No, it's fine. Seamart is not good enough. with, the, And it's, I think we had Eno Saris on a couple yeah. weeks back, and he said he cannot be a starter when he's in the low 90s. He'll show you Put wrong. him in the bullpen. Maybe he's a two-inning guy, long relief, middle relief. I think he's going to end up in the bullpen. I think Gant or Ponce will take his spot in the rotation. <laughs> this is maybe the single biggest question to me on the Cardinals roster. And they need Carlos Martinez to finish the season in the rotation. Do they go? Kinda. Who else? Because if he's Hunt, not, Gant. if he's not, it means he failed. If he is in the in the rotation at the end of the year, it means he was pretty darn good. Because you've got so many other options that you would go to one of those other guys if he was even like middling to bad, right? So I'm gonna go ahead and bet it because I'm optimistic about the Cardinals in 2021. I'm not feeling great about it, though, because he has not been great so far in spring training. He's struggled thus far. Uh, 65780 <laughs> is the air comfort service tax line for bet it or forget it from the 314. Guys, bet it or forget it. BK owns a power drill already before no he shot. moves into his new house. No <laughs> shot. Forget, forget it. Forget that. By far forget that. Are you going to buy yourself a power drill before you move into your new house? I feel Something that I put on the wedding registry, right? No, you don't put a power drill on the wedding registry. <laughs> what do you mean? Why not? Is Kara going to be okay with you putting a power drill on the wedding registry? Yeah. No. You guys need other things. You need towels. Alex. You need plates. We have 300 people coming to our wedding. Wow. Someone is Mr. Popular. We're 200 of them. 200 of them. <laughs> hey, hey, trust me. If it was up to me, it'd be a... <laughs> Entirely up to me. It'd be a lot less than that. Um, She has about two-thirds of those people. If you have 300 people coming to your wedding, you ask 300 300 people to all bring $100 for you for the wedding. You guys will be set up for life. Your mortgage is paid for the first year. Your house is paid for if you have 300 people coming to your wedding. Dude, we have 22 people in our wedding party. That's more than me, and I thought I had a lot. I had 18 in my wedding party. It's insane. Wow, I got to top all this when I eventually get so, married. We, uh, <laughs> no, no. We're doing the, the party bus, right? For the, Did you mean oh, a party baby. like double decker? <laughs> yes, literally. This, so they have something called the serpentine that has multiple <laughs> different uh, pieces of a, this is just B- a party bus. This is just BK bragging about it being popular no. and having more friends than all of us. It's 
the opposite. If I've met you once, you're probably in my wedding. <laughs> I'm not in your wedding. <laughs> Wait, I'm not either. Hey, you are, you are oh. both invited. You oh. stop oh, that. Good save. Good um, save. No, it, it's it's insanity, man. We literally we had two options. It was the serpentine or this other one that has like, hey, you could probably fit 50 people on this one. It's like, okay, we'll go with that one, I Is guess. serpentine or one of those trains you see at the malls <laughs> that just like go around and have like one kid in each car? <laughs> it's insanity, man. God, I, you have 300 people coming to your wedding? Well, the invite list is like 330. So oh I struggled to find 150 for mine. Yeah, That's don't right. ask for a drill. <laughs> ask for money from everyone. Yeah, power drill, not even on that list. Not even close. Well, I mean, we've, we're going to have a new house, so there's going to be, like, a lot of stuff that we want to put in the house that is on the registry, right? So Power drill, not there. Also, you don't get a power drill if you don't know how to use one. Well, eventually, I'm going to have to learn. I, I think. You can YouTube that. Somebody, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Nick Swisher told you he you could YouTube everything. Yeah. Somebody said if you put a power drill on the registry, you might as well just admit you have zero mascul- uh, masculinity on your own invitation. <laughs> Felt like that was in the corner, but apparently I forgot to put that on there. Yeah. With Alex for put that on the red uh, the uh, registry. Masculinity. Yeah. <laughs> could you could you get me some masculinity? Could someone get me some masculinity for my wedding? <laughs> Somebody said I text on the text line a lot with BK. Where's my invitation? Amen. It, it's probably in the mail. We just took our save the date photos. It'll be there probably in a month, my friend. Nice. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, the Blues got the message loud and clear against San Jose. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Very disappointing. I agree. We we got uh, we won two games in uh, San Jose. You know, played some good hockey there, and and then just came here and it just didn't look like a confident hockey team tonight. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Craig Berube after the loss last night for the Blues against the Vegas Golden Knights. Alex, we talked about this uh, yesterday. You know, the Blues go out. They, they play great games against San Jose after that team meeting that they had, or the veterans met with Craig Berube, right? And you had uh, Van Ryan going out on a walk with Marco Scandella. They're out by the beach, and they this is the moment that's going to turn around the season, right? And it looks great. They go up against San Jose, a team that they've dominated on the year. They went 5-1-2 and two against San Jose on the season, and everything looked like it had been turned around. It had flipped on the dime. They were playing a team game again. And then they go up against a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. And we said yesterday, you got to see it here. You can't just do this against the bottom of the barrel teams. You've also got to do it against the legitimate competitors. And it looked like they reverted back to the exact same team that they had been for much of the season. They did not play a full team game. Their defensive zone was in absolute nightmare last night. You ended up in the last 15 minutes of that game having one shot on goal. What happened? Why did everything that was said previously end up seemingly falling on deaf ears last night? Frankly, I think it's exactly what's happened all season to them. Uh, they they have a bad game. They respond to it by saying, we aren't good enough. We need to be better. They go out and they perform, and then they don't come out and they can't follow it up. And for me, it goes back to confidence. I think the confidence is shook on this team. And if you go piece by piece, we've talked about this, BK, it feels like Murphy's Law. When something can go wrong, something will go wrong. 
Look at the track record of this game last night. You start off Blues and Golden Knights, kind of a vanilla game played in the neutral zone. Vegas has a little bit of a push. Blues have a little bit of a push. But the Blues didn't have an even strength shot on goal till the halfway point of that first period. They had one shot on goal, and it was the power play. Power play has been a problem. Power play, I think, as soon as that power play opportunity comes and the Blues don't get any chances off of it, that's where the heads start to dip. Like, oh, God, here we go again. Power play struggling. Then that face-off win from Jonathan Marcheseau, a shot that should have been stopped by Jordan Bennington. I mean, there's no other way to explain that other than Jordan Bennington needs to stop that puck. Heads dipped again. Great, here we go again. Catch-up hockey. This is not an easy thing to do. They've been doing it all season long. I forgot what the exact stat was that Curbs mentioned in the broadcast, but if I'm not mistaken, that's the sixth consecutive game that the Blues have given up the first goal of the hockey game, and about 50% of their games this season have been them trailing in the first period. And to top it all off, it's usually on the first couple of shots. Yeah, but for, to that point, there was a, a graphic last night on Fox Sports Midwest. I loved it. It was it was so symbolic of the teams that have had the most comeback victories in the NHL, right? And so many fans kind of glop onto this, and they're like, oh, yes, the Blues, the comeback kids. No, you don't want to have to have no. comeback victories. One of the reasons why you have so many comeback victories on the season is because you're playing from behind so often. Right. So the Blues, I think it was third in the league is where they're at right now in terms of comeback victories. But the reason why you have so many of those opportunities, it's like an RBI stat, right? That's a good version of this, but this is an opportunistic. If you're falling behind a lot, yeah, you're going to have more comeback victories because you're falling behind. That's right. the only way you can come back. And that's and that's where the heads start to dip because that's exhausting for guys. I mean, imagine a guy like Ryan O'Reilly who's playing about 20, 21 minutes of hockey a night or a Justin Falk who's playing 26, 27 minutes a night on ice. To know that you're going to be chasing this hockey game again, and it's a different feeling when you know you're chasing a team that's the Anaheim Ducks or the San Jose Sharks, who are bad defensively, than taking on a team like the Vegas Golden Knights, who basically eliminates any scoring opportunities in their own zone. I mean, I think they've allowed the least amount of shots per game in the National Hockey League. That's what you're going up against. But again, it's confidence, BK. It's the same thing that I remember from the beginning of the 18-19 season. As soon as something goes wrong... Heads dip, and then it's hard to get that back. The Blues gained some momentum in the second period last night. They started a little bit of a push. They score that goal, but then a penalty happens. Then Vegas starts to create opportunities. They start cycling the puck. They start putting pucks to the front of the net. Here we go again, chasing these guys. And then as soon as that Mark Stone goal went in, as soon as that shot that was going wide went off of Vince Dunn skating into the back of the net, you could see it. Blues were gone. Because those three shots that came, they were before that, then it was over with. There's something about bad habits that can be talked about here. Because I I think we can all in our own lives kind of relate to this, right? A lot of us came up with new hobbies during the beginning of the quarantine, right? Me and and my fiance early on, we were playing wall ball right off of the the side of a wall at a school that is basically in our backyard at the place with her parents that we're staying right now. Um, I got more into reading. I started reading more books, right? We, we tried to find more documentaries that we, we were going into. And you find all of these different ways to fill the time. But eventually, you fall back into your same routine. You do the same things that you've always done because those are your habits, right? The blues are kind of that with these meetings that they have or when they have a come-to-Jesus moment with Craig Bruby coming out in the post-game show and basically calling out the team, whatever it is, right? You'll see it for the next game where it's like, oh, oh boy, they they got whipped into shape a little bit in that one. See it a little bit in the next one. 
maybe even into that third game, you, you kind of see some of those same things. It's like, okay, maybe they've corrected this stuff. But by that third or fourth game, you start to see the same habits coming back up again mm-hmm. because they fall back into the same rhythms of what they've been all along. And it feels like that's where the Blues are. Eventually, when a team tells you who they are time and time and time again, you got to listen to them. The St. Louis Blues of the 2021 season have told us repeatedly who they are. When they go up against quality opponents, they're 1-2-1 against Vegas. They are 1-1 against Colorado, 2-4-1 against L.A., 3-3-1 against Arizona. They're a slightly below 500 hockey team against those opponents. When they go up against the worst of the worst, they're 5-1-2 against San Jose and 4-0 against Anaheim. They look great. This is a team that right now is battling its butt off to potentially, maybe, possibly get a fourth seed in the West. That's where they are. They've told us that all year. That can change, but based on their habits, based on who they've been all season, uh, we kind of got to start looking at them that way. We got to start stop talking about, hey, when they get everybody back, they're going to be this great team. No, I was wrong on that. They're not. They're not a great team. They're pretty close to being fully healthy, and they still look like the same team that we looked at whenever they were not healthy. You got to go back to what Craig Berube said, what I heard Chris Kerber say uh, on the morning show, I believe. They're, they're playing soft, and that's not Blues hockey. You can't have two or three guys that are willing to throw the body around on the forecheck and then have the rest of them skating around and hoping something happens. You got to have a five man commitment up the ice in the offensive zone, pushing hard. Guys, Sammy Blay was a healthy scratch last night because Craig Berube said he doesn't play with enough motion. That's not the first time this has happened. That's not the first time he said this. So, and not the first player. No. So, this, as much as we want to say, okay, well, what's going wrong? Why is the defensive struggling? You know, what's going wrong with the offense? It has nothing to do with the skill set. These guys are still really good hockey players. They're the exact same team in terms of individuals that won the Stanley Cup. It's just not the same team overall because they're not going out there as a five-man unit. They're going out there starting as a five-man unit, and when things break down, they're trying to overcompensate for the other guys who aren't pulling on that rope and trying to make up for that. And when you have that, guess what? We got independent contractors. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 314. Guys, can we at least have a good laugh at the fact that the Golden Knights didn't score for that on that four-on-one opportunity? <laughs> it is kind of funny. Like, it could have been worse. As frustrating as that game was to watch, there were moments, especially in the first and second period, where it's like, whoo, boy, Blues are kind of lucky that this is the score is what it is right that now. That game could have been more embarrassing for the Blues. That could have been a 10-to-1 loss. I mean, frankly, it could have been 5-to-1 after the second period. And I know we'll get into Bennington at one fifteen, but Bennington, as bad as it was, he was also big in certain scenarios for this Blues team. Um Yes, that was really funny, the four-on-one. But on the flip side of that, I could put myself in the shoes of the Vegas Golden Knights because I don't know if you remember this, BK or T-Bone. I think it was last year or two years ago when the Blues had a three-on-O against the Vancouver Canucks in the regular season. It was overtime, and they were skating down, and it was a three-on-O. The Blues scored, but I sat there and said, if this team misses on a three-on-O, it's over. Like, there's no more talking about it. Like, that is the mo- that will be on the not top ten highlights yeah. of Sports Center. That will be talked about on Spit and Chicklets, Bar Down, NHL Network. So, thankfully, the Blues scored there. Thankfully, Vegas didn't score there. But again, you can't laugh about it because they beat them five to one. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. 
This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. junk drawer all right so tanner came in during the break he's like boys i've got another opportunity for you you know alex you know i'm always down to get paid by somebody for something strange well even if that means i'm on board with that now because bk's got a house i got a baby yeah hit me with the strangeness t-bone we're gonna need to pay for this mortgage somehow so what you got for me today all right so a company is willing to pay you twenty four hundred dollars oh that would help that would really help. It's like two stimulus checks. If you can stay away from screens, like an iPhone, oh, that's or a little problem. Laptop, not for me. TV for 24 hours. Hold for on, 24 hours? 24 hours, you can get paid 2,400 dollars to stay that's away $100 from screens. That's 100 dollars an hour. Why? How do I sign up? I already did sign up. I signed up last night. What do you mean? Okay, so I found this link. It, it popped up on on Facebook for me, and I was scrolling through, and I'm like. 2400 basically right now in life and i'm sure everyone who has kids or has a house in a pandemic is the same way when you see hey win money doing this i'm thinking okay let's see what i gotta do and it said no screen time for 24 hours and i'm thinking i could do that yeah but the stipulation on it it's not just phones and computers it's everything. Smart speakers is on this no list. No television, That's no fine. music. That ain't no problem. No, it's no and problem. That ain't what no this problem. one does, I don't know if yours has oh, this or is. not. They, a- they send it, you get a, uh, what's it called, safe. And you have to put it in the safe for 24 hours. And they give you a $200 Amazon gift card to get your quote unquote, uh, what was it, survival kit for tech free. Oh, dude, yeah. I, I would I do, do this, this in a heartbeat. heartbeat. Yep. No, no problem at all. Yep. I signed up for this and I'm thinking, you it's know what? $2,400 for 24 hours? That's $100 an hour. Yeah. So, oh, so here's I need to sign up for this bad so boy. So here's my thought process on this. It, it benefits new parents, right? Because they're exhausted 24-7. So I'm imagining you take a day off of work or you do this on the weekend. Oh, we've still got three days to apply. Huh, man, Get on, on this on bad this. boy. Right? So I figured you sleep what? Normally, you can get a good eight hours of sleep in. Maybe you take a good two, three-hour nap. That's 11 of 24 hours right there. I could do this, no problem. So on a scale, let's go through this together. On a scale of 1 to 10, how addicted to technology are you? I would say I'm pretty close to a 10. Um, Heck, at work, we're on it all the time. Yeah, literally, literally when I go no home from work. away from it. I've, I've, I've properly f- mastered the opportunity of feeding my baby while holding the bottle with my elbow and strolling through Twitter. <laughs> I got a problem. So the one problem is it, it says in 100 words or less, please tell us why you feel you are the right person. Oh. For the digital detox challenge. I gave a perfect answer to this one too. I said I said Alex I Alex is over here I writing know. an essay. I, I did too. I said I'm a I'm in the broadcast business as a sports announcer and I said I just had a new baby and I want to properly show my new baby that technology does not rule the world. Boom! Give me that detox. You have 14 days from accepting the challenge to pick a day that works for you so you don't have to skip school or work unless you want to. Here's why it'd be tough for me is because when would we have to do it? We'd probably have to do it on a weekend because we can't unless we're going to take a day off of work. Right. Oh, there we go. How many people end up being selected for this? Do we know? one, right? 
But so, like, when we're communicating, we'd have to, like, send each other letters for a day if we're going to do it on a day. So, like, we'd have to do, we it, on do it on a weekend. That's fine. Yeah, yeah well, do it on a okay, Saturday. Okay, well, you're going to miss a Blues game. You're going to miss the Sweet 16. BK can miss. fill in for me. For $2,400, Tanner, there was once a point in my life where I probably would have had the same reaction as you're having right now. Oh, no, I'm, I'm going to miss so- Come on now. One Blues game? I will sit in my basement in the dark for 24 hours for $2,400. Yeah. Hell, I'll miss the national championship college basketball game if you're telling me it's $2,400 on the line. Uh, Yeah. A lot of people are saying this sounds like a scam. See, I thought that too, but part of me wonders if this is like one of, if this is like a a student maybe trying to do some type of um, master's degree program or trying to do some type of test for a university. And I'm thinking, okay, I could do this. So it's reviews.org. That's doing this. All right, let's I'll do Better Business Bureau on reviews.org. Um, I don't know. It's some gentleman by the name of Trevor Wheelwright. Oh, that sounds fake. Uh, TV streaming and internet expert. So, I don't oh, know. He's man. an expert. It's got to be real. Yeah, that's true. $2,400, BK. Can you imagine what we could do with that? I mean, how how long would I have to do this before I'd be like, nah, uh-uh, not interested? It'd have to be like See, I think I, four days. I no. agree with you guys. I think I could do four days. If it's $100 an so hour. The, the tough part is the job, right? Like, yeah. there's only so many days of vacation that I'm willing to burn for this. Yeah. So it's $100 an hour, and we're going four days. Yeah, but it, it Let's stops do quick- being $100 an hour once you're doing it for four days. Why? Oh, you're saying no, like saying, if they continue If they continue the being answer, $100 an hour. I'm saying for $2,400. Oh, no, yeah, for $2,400. No. I think I, once I think- you get to four. See, I think, about right. I think two's my max because that's the weekend. That's Saturday, Sunday for me, and then you got work. I take a vacation day on Friday and Monday to do it. I I agree with you guys. I could probably do a day where it's like, oh, you know what? Yeah, I could care less if I miss the Blues game or the Cardinals game whoa, or whatever. Whoa, Calm down. <laughs> but I, I think at some point, like, in the middle of that 24 hours, you're going to go, wow, I really just want to, you know, check my phone on Twitter. You're so accustomed to it. Nah. Like, I find myself last night watching the Blues game, I found myself somehow on Twitter. I'm not even sure how I got there. Oh, well, sure. Yeah, like, I mean, my tendency, if I had my phone yeah, with me, would be to go tick. grab my phone, right? Um, it's a boredom that way. Yeah. But if I know that I don't have my phone with me and I can't watch the television, I mean, yeah, I'll what, play some games for an hour what do or you whatever. Do, what do you do when the power goes out and you just gotta light the candle? Sleep. Yeah, chill. I mean, I, there's other stuff you can do. Read a go book. Outside, on, go outside, go on a Pick run. up a book every once in a book. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe play a board game. Have you ever played a board yeah, game Have before? you ever played Candyland, T-Bone? Um, not since I was in kindergarten, probably. Wow. Uh, it's a shoot and ladders. Ride. It's a great, great, uh, hey, BK, great game. I would 636 makes a great point. You could buy a whole lot of power drills for $2,400. Could you? How much are those things? Probably like 60 bucks. Maybe 100 bucks for a good one. Yeah. You could buy 240 of them. No, that's not how that works. 24 of them for $100. Sounds about right, man. Math, With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, the Cardinals team is going to rely on its stars in a way that they really haven't in recent years. We'll tell you why one website is wrong about the Cardinals. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Fly ball, left field, and it drops. A base hit for Dylan Carlson. Oh, my. Launches another one into deep right. Adios. Long home run, Dylan Carlson. 
He's getting hot at the right time. With Alex Ferrari on Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was our guy, Danny Mack, on the call for Fox Sports Midwest. Dylan Carlson's starting to look good, guys. He is breaking out at the right time for the Cardinals here in spring training. Offensively, he looks excellent. He had a homer, had an RBI the other day. This is the Dylan Carlson that you need. Here's my question for you. Is he the biggest X factor for this offense this year? Because we all know for this team to be what it needs to be, they need Dylan, or excuse me, they need um, Paul DeYoung to be really good. They need Goldschmidt and Arenado to be fantastic. Who are the X factors in the lineup? And do you believe that Dylan Carlson is number one on that list? I think I would have Tommy Edmond as number one on my list, but I think Dylan Carlson would be number two for me. Just because Tommy Edmond as the leadoff hitter is going to set the tone, I think, of this offense. Dylan Carlson, who continues to move up the batting order, still towards the bottom, which is a very important area for this team because past Paul Goldschmidt, Paul DeYoung, it's basically a bunch of what-ifs. I'd argue, actually, after Paul Goldschmidt, it's a bunch of what-ifs. So I think I would have Tommy Edmond as my number one, but right there with him is Dylan Carlson, especially now that he is showing that power of taking the ball to the opposite side of the field, of picking up doubles, getting on base. He's going to be very impactful, and I do think he will see himself as that number two hitter at some point this season. But I'm going to stick with my guy Tommy Edmond as the leadoff hitter, as the most, uh, the biggest X factor. I think mine's going to be Tyler O'Neill. I, I think for right now, it's got to be O'Neal. throw the entire outfield. Like, oh, Lane Thomas could yeah, be in this conversation, Technically, too. we could throw, like, six different names as the X factor from Austin this offense. No, no, no. Get out of here. No, get, get that out of here. I actually think there's four options. I think there's four options for X factor for the Cardinals this season. I think you're right on Tommy Edmond. I think you're right on Tyler O'Neill. I think Dylan Carlson and Lane Thomas would be the other two. That could be in there. Is there anybody else that even makes sense? Would you consider DeYoung? No. I, I think he's a he's a must. You you need to at least get his career norms out of him. I think he's he's going into the season as your cleanup hitter. It's hard for me to view that as like an X factor yeah. for He's past the X know? factor stage. He's, he is a must now because other, otherwise somebody else has to become that must. And guys like him and like Yadier Molina, for instance, right? Maybe he has an offensive outburst this year. I'd be surprised by it, but we kind of know what their career norms are. Tyler O'Neill, his range of outcomes this year is like might be down in triple A at the end of the season or could be the cleanup hitter at the end of the year. You know, same thing for Dylan Carlson. He might be sent down or he could be your two hole or cleanup hitter at the end of the season. So the range of outcomes for those guys is just so much wider than a player like uh, Paul DeYoung, in my mind, at least. I, I think I that's what agree. makes an X factor. I, I would agree with that. But I kind of view O'Neill as that because right now we're seeing him. Play well. I think he's he's been on base at least once today, and he's got a stolen base. But granted, it was off John Lester. I don't know if that really counts. Huh. But, hey, he's he's good. Yeah, but he can't throw it first. Uh, but with O'Neill, if he can actually hit that ceiling, I mean, I don't know if you. It's a necessary that DeYoung gets back to twenty. What was it twenty eighteen form? I I think if O'Neill can hit his ceiling, you're looking at a guy that has thirty to forty home run power can have a really high slugging percentage and can be that guy that you feel confident in putting him in the four spot. He's got the speed that he can steal bases if necessary on that four spot to kind of help generate offense with Carlson behind him or a uh, Yadier Molina behind him. I think if O'Neal can hit his ceiling, I- I'm telling you, I think the Cardinals lineup just takes a complete another step and makes them the clear-cut favorites in the National I, League Central. I, I really like this text, and I would tend to agree with this one from the 618 in the Air Comfort Service text line 657. I know the biggest X factor is whoever's going to be able to hit number two because that pushes Goldschmidt and Arenado back. I agree with that. As much as I do love Tommy Edmond, I think that number two hitting spot is going to be the most important position for the Cardinals offense this season because 
you got to put Goldschmidt, Norinato, 3-4, rather than have them as 2-3. I think it just extends your lineup to do that. Yeah. I completely agree. I'm, I'm on the same line of thinking. I would... And the other thing is you've got so many options, right? And frankly, I think they're all kind of the outfielders. Like, it's the, it's the guys that we just mentioned. It's Tyler O'Neill. if you want to go with the Tony LaRusa approach of having danger in the two-hole, he makes a lot of sense there. Um, Lane Thomas, get your mind out of the gutter, Sorry. could be a guy that makes a lot of sense batting second in this lineup. If he's got a really high on-base percentage, he is a threat on the bases. Dylan Carlson, we've said all along, I think that's where he ends up spending the majority of his career, is batting second in the Cardinals lineup. And he just profiles that way. It, it's the perfect spot for him. High on base, has a little bit of power, can steal you some bags. He makes all the sense in the world. So any of those three, if you get a really good year out of them, they can all be the X factor in this specific way, where they could all bat second for you in the lineup. What needs to be more dangerous, the two hole or the one hole? Uh, for the Cardinals this season? Yeah. So for the Cardinals, the more important place in their batting order. That's not what I asked you. I asked what needs to be more dangerous. Is is always, uh, I would say batting second. Because I think we kind of know, even at his peak, I think we kind of have a pretty good idea of what Tommy Edmond is. He's going to be a contact hitter who hits to all fields. I don't think he's got like 375 on base percentage in him. I don't think that's ever going to be who he is. I don't think he's got like 500 uh, slugging percentage in him. He's a solid player yeah. that you really like at the top of your order, but he's going to be more Colton Wong-esque with the way that he he performs up there than than somebody that's like uh, Anthony Rizzo or something right like that. Right now, I love this comp for Tyler O'Neill, and I'm curious your guys' thoughts. From the 314, you need O'Neill to be Reggie Sanders. I, I really like that comp, and I think that would be an I, that would be a positive for me this season if Tyler O'Neill is a Reggie Sanders because that's a guy who's going to hit you at least 20 home runs in a season. He's going to pick up RBIs, but he's also getting on base more. He's showing the power with the doubles. I don't want Tyler O'Neill just to be a home run hitter. I want him to be a guy who is moving runners over every time he comes to the plate. Yeah, that's not a bad comp. Um, Reggie Sanders back in 2004 for the Cardinals finished that year with 27 doubles, 22 homers, 67 uh, ribbies. He had a 260 batting average and an 800 OPS. Yeah. I, I think would I would sign that. up for that. Yeah. If you told me that's the way that the season goes for Tyler O'Neill, I think I'd sign up that's for that. It's a win, in my opinion. Now, the important part of all of this, though, is that you've got question marks around all of these guys, specifically the outfield, right? And so I was reading over on fan graphs last night, and they were ranking all of the first basemen in baseball. And I was surprised to see where the Cardinals came in on this. They had the Cardinals ranked as the ninth best first base group in Major League Baseball, sixth in all of the National League. Seemed low given the fact that you have Paul Goldschmidt as your first baseman. Ninth in baseball, that seems really low. Here's what their summary had to say about Paul Goldschmidt, the Cardinals' first baseman, and their stars in general. Quote, even if Paul Goldschmidt's days as the apex predator at first are over, I still expect that the Cardinals will be perfectly content for Goldschmidt to just be a slightly above average player. That's kind of how St. Louis rolls. They win their 85 to 90 games a year with a deep roster of above average guys rather than relying on their stars to power them into the postseason. I think that's changed. I think that the Cardinals this year need Paul Goldschmidt to be a star. They need Nolan Arenado to produce like a star. They need Jack Flaherty to produce like a Cy Young candidate. They need Dylan Carlson to produce like a rookie of the year candidate. If those guys don't reach those heights, I think it's going to be a potentially longer season than we expected. So I would actually disagree with their assessment of Paul Goldschmidt and what the Cardinals need out of him. If he's simply an above average player 
we look at this lineup completely differently. The entire theory behind what the Cardinals have um, done with their lineup is, hey, we've got two guys that are amazing and everything else pivots around them. If those two guys aren't amazing, well, you've got some serious questions to answer with other guys that are all eh, maybe, possibly, hopefully. You can't have that this year. You need Paul Goldschmidt to be better than just above average at the plate. I don't think you win the Central if, if Paul Goldschmidt's not above average. I don't think you make the playoffs if yeah, Paul Goldschmidt isn't above average. I would agree with that because I don't think you win the Central and there's only one team coming out of this division. Let's be honest. more Well, more than likely, I would say. But yeah, I think if Goldschmidt's average or below average... Yeah, it's kind of the theory. The Cardinal, the whole Cardinals theories, like you said, BK, it just went out the window. And so did your playoff hopes. It followed right behind your theory. It jumped out and it said, no, we only got one off. It's like we had last year. You had one offensive guy. And let's be honest, the price shouldn't have been a playoff team last season. And they didn't win the division, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, the Cubs did. Yeah, they got, they got lucky because there were eight playoff teams. They should not have been a playoff team last year. Yeah, they're, they're going to need more than an above-average season offensively out of Paul Goldschmidt to reach their heights. That they, they have to be better than that. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, it's one of the more underrated storylines from last night. We all know about the defense. We know that they didn't put shots on the net in the last 15 minutes of the third period. What about the goaltending? we got to talk about Jordan Bennington's status in that game. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. That'll pretty much do it. Five to one, the final tonight. The Blues have a tough third period, and uh, the Vegas Golden Knights get three points in the game from Mark Stone, and the Knights beat the St. Louis Blues by a score of five to one. Not good enough from the Blues last night. That was the final call. You heard that on your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. We've talked about the defense. We've talked about the lack of shots on net, especially midway through and late in the third period. That thing avalanched on the Blues quickly. We also have to talk for a bit about Jordan Bennington. Now, I want to make this very clear up front. None of us believe Jordan Bennington was the reason that they lost last night. None of us believe that he is exclusively to blame for anything that's happening with the Blues right now. In fact, there was a large portion of the early part of that game where it felt like Jordan Bennington was keeping them in that game. But that doesn't mean that he's faultless. For what happened last night. And Alex, I know you've been looking into the numbers a little bit about oh, yeah. what Jordan Bennington's performance has been of late. Nerding out. What's going on with Jordan Bennington and how concerning is it? It's concerning. And look, I understand because I am the one that, that began that argument with BK last night in the game saying this isn't all on Jordan Bennington because, frankly, go back and look at that game. There was a four on one at one point to show you defensively this team is leaving him out to dry. But Chris Kerber was on with me post game and forcibly disagreed with me. And I kind of started to see the light with that because let's be honest, if a team is lacking confidence, they need their goaltender to make saves that they shouldn't make and make saves that they should make that first goal of the hockey game last night. Bennington should have had that. There was no screen in front. It was a bouncing puck, but it went through his pads. He would tell you he wants that goal back. But if you go month by month, it's continued to drop off for Bennington this season. And, and I go off of save percentage BK more than I do goals against because save percentage tells you how yeah, many it's based on how many shots exactly he had a 918 save percentage in seven games played in the month of January. That's above average 900s about average right now in the National Hockey League. February 10 games started. It was a 901 save percentage. So dropped about a percent went from 92 to 90 percent. So 2 percent March is now at 89 percent and that's at six games played. If you go through 
let's go back to the 1819 season where look I understand that that's not a an easy thing for anybody to accomplish but he went from 936 to 945 to 912 to 913 all above 900 which is still good last season 918 934 904 866 908 kind of around the same area and the more I think Bennington BK the more I think well he's not he's not keeping the blues in hockey games in terms of robbing the other team and keeping their goals down. If you look, the Blues are middle of the pack in goals allowed this season. I'm sorry, they're middle of the pack in shots allowed this season. They're top 10 in goals allowed this season per game, which is about 3.47. But for Bennington, he's got an 896 save percentage right now in the month of March. Among top 50 goaltenders in the National Hockey League, there are only 14 goalies who have started five or more games that have a less percentage than he does at save percentage. So he's bottom third of the National Hockey League right now in terms of guys who are starting on a regular basis in the month of March. This is the part that got me, though, and this is the part why I feel things are concerning because of those one or two goal games. Back in 18-19, out of the 32 starts that Jordan Bennington had in the regular season, there were only eight games that he allowed two or that he allowed more than two goals. So three, four, five, there was only eight yeah. of those 32 that he allowed. This season, 23 games played, He's had 11 where he's allowed three or more goals. That's 50% of the season right now for Jordan Bennington. That's basically like if you if you want to compare it to uh, baseball, we're talking about quality starts essentially exactly. uh, for, for starting pitchers, right? Six innings, three, three earned runs or less. That's what a quality start is for a major league pitcher. You're basically saying, hey, in, in Jordan Bennington starts in 2018-19, he was great. He had all, basically all of them or three quarters of them were quality starts. This year, it's like half. Yeah. The percentage is going down, and that's concerning. And that's and when you go to goaltending, for me, it's all about momentum. Goalies can shift momentum in a positive way and in a negative way. And in a positive way, they're robbing goals. Like, go back and look at a couple of the saves that Robin Leonard made last night. Some of those just basically stifled the Blues and gave Vegas that opportunity to push the other way. But then on the flip side of that, when the shot goes in off of Jonathan Marcheseau and goes through Jordan Bennington's pads on the second shot of the hockey game, heads dip that momentum shifts to the opposite direction so again it's not on him because his guys are leaving him out to dry in scenarios but you need your goaltender to make a save when he has to and when he can shift the momentum back on the blue side and right now Bennington's not doing it so I'm looking at a bunch of numbers right now and I'm not going to get into them but basically every single number that I'm looking at tells me the exact same thing whether it's goal saved above average or high danger save percentage or save percentage in five on five situations whatever you want to look at out of the 32 regular goalies, right? The guys that play the majority of the time for their team. He's bottom 10 in every single metric. Yeah. So far this season, that is on the entirety of the season. He's got to be better. Point blank period. The Blues paid him six years, $6 million per season. I think it was the right decision. I like Jordan Bennington. I think he's a good goalie. He hasn't been good enough this year. I would need him to be better. I would argue, BK, if that goal from Marcheseau doesn't go in in the first period, that game either stays 0-0 or the Blues score first and the momentum's on their side. But the problem is the last six games, whether it been Bennington or Husso, those first goals are going in off the first, second, or third shots of the hockey game. And from there, the Blues are playing chase hockey, and it's impossible for those guys to get their head in the game. That's the big thing for me is if you make the big save, or even if it's just like that save that you're referencing where it shouldn't go in, and then you score, that momentum flips com- completely. Vegas could have dominated that game. Bennington comes up with two big saves, and then you score a goal. It, it's a, it crushes Vegas' momentum. And it just feels like this year, and I could be wrong. Maybe maybe it's just me, but 
I haven't really gotten one of those games where I say, you know what, Bennington's made the big save, they went down and scored, and it just completely flipped that game. That's, I don't think they've had that. That's what Curb said last night, and that's where, because again, I was arguing on the fact that keep saying that, because it is the goaltender's fault sooner or later, but that's what Curb's pointed out. He said, what game this season, there's probably been a couple where you say, Bennington stole the show, or Bennington, like I'll go to the Arizona Coyotes game where he allowed one goal and it was a one nothing loss. That's not on Bennington. That's on the team not producing offense for him. But there have been a lot of games. Again, 12 of the 23 games that he has played this season, he's allowed three or more goals. That's a lot to ask for a team that's dealing with the injuries they are. Zero shutouts this year, too. Zero. I know shutouts are hard to come by. I know. I get that. Um, But I'm holding Jordan Bennington to a different standard than I would your typical run-of-the-mill starting goaltender. He's one of the highest-paid goalies in the league now. He's one of the, uh, by all accounts, should be one of the 10 to 15, conservatively speaking, Best goalies in the league. Well, those guys have shutouts. They find ways, as you're saying, Alex, to stand on their head, and you got to find a way to win, right? I mean, you, you can look at any stat you want to, and maybe we can just go to the favorite, right? Hey, but he wins. He wins. That's That was always the thing with Bennington, right? Even last year, he 30-game winner for the Blues last year. When he was in net, they won like 70% of the time. It's great. Hasn't been the case this year either. Mm-hmm. They're 10 and 8 in his starts. So there's nothing that you can fall back on to be like, this is the thing that shows you that it's it's A-OK, it's going to be fine. Bennington's been actually better than we all think. No. No, Bennington hasn't been good enough. The defense also hasn't been good enough. Yeah. And the forwards have to be better in coming down and defending. And whether it be on the, the TV broadcast or the radio broadcast or listening to Jamie, they'll tell you all about the F3s and they can explain that a hell of a lot better than I can. <laughs> but it, there's a million things that have gone wrong for the Blues this year. This is an and conversation, not an or. It's not right. Bennington or the defense or the forwards. It's all of it. All of it in tandem hasn't been good enough, especially when they're going up against the best of I, I go back to a comment that Craig Berube made in eighteen nineteen when people were talking about Jake Allen and saying, you know, what's the problem here? And he said, look, you can blame the goaltender all you want, but the goaltender's going to have bad games when the guys in front of him are having bad games. And that's very true. Now, from the 314 Air Comfort Service text line 65780, how much of this Bennington talk relates to losing Petrangelo? relates a hell of a lot to it, but it also relates to losing Jay Bomeister. It relates to losing Colton Pareko. It relates to losing Joel Edmondson. It basically relates to guys not being able to clear the puck from away in their net. You texted me last night. I think it was the third goal that went in or the fourth goal that went in on Jordan Bennington. And you said, man, that one didn't look good. And I wrote back to you and I said, as bad as that was for Bennington, Bortuzzo needs to clear that puck. Yep. And Bortuzzo, if you go back and watch the replay, he's diving across the ice trying to stop the puck with his body. That's not how that's not how they need you to play defense. You need to clear the front of the net with your stick and with your force rather than just jumping in front of the puck like that. There's a lot of guys diving for pucks. I'll go back. I think it was that Sharks game. Vince Dunn tried to crouch down and block the shot, and it beat Jordan Bennington or Ville Husso because he was screened. That's more of the issue right now. It's personnel, but it's also guys not playing the defense that has been successful in front of Jordan Bennington in the past. They've all got to be better. They've all got to step their game up. And I know that is like the most cliche thing to say, but it is true with this team. We know they're talented. We've seen Jordan Bennington play at the top of his game, and it's good enough to win a Stanley Cup. Yeah. We've seen the especially the top six in the Blues forwards right now, and we're starting to get closer to the top nine in the Blues forwards groups. They're good enough to be a one of the higher scoring teams in the league 
this defensive group, while not what it once was, has talent to be really good. We all like Marco Scandella. We all think that Tori Krug and Justin Falk, we know. We've seen them be productive in the NHL before. They have the talent to get there. They've just got to produce. And now it's on them more than it is anybody else. And things don't get any easier. Uh, they do have a game against the Ducks. That is coming up next. Um, but, excuse me, no. Next one up is, next is wild. Minnesota. And then you got Ducks Friday and Sunday. So you've got the, the Minnesota Wild on Thursday night. You'll hear that right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario will have your pregame Thursday at 6 o'clock. Puck drop for that one will be at 7. That's going to be a huge test for him. Yeah. Because the Minnesota Wild are really good. And I look nervous. That is one of the teams that the Blues need to step up against. Uh, And can I just say this too, BK? Another telling sign of Ben is what we've talked and referenced. Him taking a, or basically mimicking taking a swat at William Carlson after that game. You could tell he's in his own head right now, and that's not the same Jordan Bennington. Hey, March is almost over, which means we are almost done with App Madness. 101 ESPN and our sister stations down the hall are all competing in what they're calling App Madness. It ends on Wednesday, March 31st, so that's basically a week from tomorrow. So here's what you need to do to make sure that you're able to win some cool stuff. Download the 101 ESPN mobile app. On it. Register your info. Okay. You do it between now and next Wednesday. Okay. That's it. That's it? There's literally nothing else you have to do. Okay, but what are the prizes, though? By the way, you still got to keep listening. That's kind of an important part here. But what you get if you do all of this is there's awesome giveaways going on. You get a chance to win $500 cash. I know we're in on that. I need that. I got the house. We could use that. And I get to keep my screen time. And you get to keep your screen time. In fact, you get to use it even more. <laughs> a Traeger grill is on there. A replica Nolan Arenado jersey. There's so much more. There's all kinds of stuff. Mr. 95% is Ooh. excited about that. App Madness. All you got to do, use the app, please. And then next Wednesday, we'll stop talking about this. Make sure you sign up, you listen, you register. That's the way you do it over on the 101 ESPN app. Speaking of madness, let's talk about March Madness with Chris Patolo. What's going on with this? There's three number one seeds, but there's a heck of a lot of high seeds left, the highest that we've ever seen in the Sweet 16. We're going to see even more upsets. Chris Spatola is going to join us to talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by college basketball analyst Chris Patola joining us here on the show. Chris, thanks so much for the time, man. How are you enjoying March Madness so far? Uh, it's been great, guys. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thrilled to have you. So let, let's start with this. I saw the stat last night that if you look at the sum of all of the seeds that are remaining here in the Sweet 16, it's the highest that we've ever had, which obviously indicates all of the upsets that we've seen thus far. But at the same time, we also have three number one seeds still remaining. Uh, What do you think for the first two rounds of this tournament? What's been your overall thoughts on what we've seen early on? Yeah, I I think it's reflective uh, of, A, the year that we've had. um, and, And we didn't, I think, see the gap between lower to mid-major in, in the Power Five conferences just because there weren't as many games this year. But, you know, I think the number of upsets we typically get in the tournament, guys, is reflective of the percentage of upsets we get in the regular season. You know, I mean, a lot of these mid-major, most of these mid-major, low-major teams, they are champions. I mean, they come in as champions of their respective conferences. Uh, basket, this isn't college football. Basketball, the gap, the, the the talent gap between those, those smaller programs and the big guys is, has closed. Um, 
But, you know, I've always said people call that parity. I I don't necessarily call that parity because I still believe there's only a handful of teams that can win this thing. And and so I think, to your point, you know, Gonzaga, Baylor are are clearly the best uh, that that the sport has to offer this year. I think you could throw a couple other teams in that category that could potentially win it. But, um, you know, so I I think it's reflective of kind of where we are in the sport. But at the end of the day, I don't quite see it as parity just because I – I don't think everybody has a chance to, to win this thing necessarily. Chris, there have been a lot of upsets in this March Madness tournament. And, you know, some of them I think a lot of people could have seen coming or at least had an idea, like Illinois versus Loyola. A lot of people viewed that as going to be a close matchup. But is there an upset that, that kind of took you by surprise so far in these first couple of rounds? Well, the, the obvious ones are there. Um, you know, I, I, I saw Oral Roberts during the season. I called one of their games. So that, that was not a shot. I mean, beating Ohio State, I didn't, I didn't pick that, let's be clear. But it wasn't a shock. I, I'll tell you the game that had, the, the team that has shocked me is Oregon State. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, if, if anybody watched the, the end of the Pac-12 season, uh, they were not very good going into the Pac-12 tournament. I mean, they, they got blown out by Oregon going into the Pac-12 tournament. And then all of a sudden they made a miraculous run and, and then here they are, they've won two games. You know, a team like that has, has taken me, taken me by surprise, you know, more so than necessarily an Oral Roberts. Cause I think it, when you look at an Oral Roberts guys in their two games in the tournament, they've had the two best players on the floor. I mean, Aismas and O'Banner have been the two best players in both of those games for Oral Roberts. So I, the, the one that I'm looking at, man, am I seeing the same team is, is Oregon state. Chris Patola joining us here on 101 ESPN. He's college basketball analyst for ESPN. Also, give him a follow on Twitter at his name, Chris Spatola. Chris, I did want to ask you about the Big Ten because if there's anything that surprised me about this tournament, it's them. Uh, I basically had my thesis for my bracket was, hey, just advance all the Big Ten teams. You're going to be fine. That's the best conference in the land. And now the only team that's remaining is Michigan. What has happened, and do you believe that it is fair to judge the Big Ten's overall pedigree based on what they've done this season in the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that we should absolutely use the tournament to judge conference strength. This is our postseason. I mean, this is the sport. In every other sport, guys, we use the postseason to drive a referendum on teams and coaches. Why can't we do it collectively, and why can't we use the NCAA tournament? I, I mean, I don't care about the format. This is it. We are playing for a championship. And now, and I would also like to say, I did not pick Oral Roberts, but I am on record. I mean, I did, I'm telling you, six or seven games this year where I am on air saying that we've got to pump our brakes on the Big Ten. I never thought it was, it was as good as everybody was saying it was. Analytics has skewed this analysis because analytically – and the way that the analytics, like a Kempom judge conferences, is different than, than how they should be judged in these types of formats. And the style of play, it, it's very homogeneous in that league. I'd, I've never thought that it was going to apply itself broadly to you know, the, 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 the field in the NCAA tournament, which is a broad spectrum of, of how teams play, etc., so I never thought the Big Big Ten was as good as everybody said. But that said, it was still one of the best conferences, obviously. Uh, but this has been not good. And, and I have always been a believer that we should absolutely, absolutely use the NCAA tournament to judge that performance. And, and based on what we're seeing, uh, that league obviously was not as good as a lot of folks thought it was. 
Chris, I've got one more question for you. I know you're a busy man, and we'll get you out of here on this one. I, one of the teams that I saw a lot of this year, because I'm a Mizzou guy, so I've watched a lot of SEC basketball, was Arkansas. And when Mizzou played them earlier this year, I would have told you there's no way that they were going to end up here and probably end up making the Elite Eight. And now it looks like they've got a real chance to go on a little bit of a run. You mentioned earlier you think Baylor could do it. You think Gonzaga could win the title. Is Arkansas another one of those teams that you could see making a run at the title this year? No, because they're not going to get past Baylor. But it's amazing how much they have improved. Uh, I had the midseason against Oklahoma State, and they were good. They were not nearly as good as they are playing right now. Eric Musselman's done a great job. Their improvement, particularly on the defensive end, you know, it was a team that they got a lot of really talented individual offensive players, scorers. They lean into that end. Where the changes come is defensively. You know, they are, they are starting to really apply themselves. And, you know, I thought the scare against Colgate in the first round really was good for them uh, because I thought it, it made them better against Texas Tech. Uh, but they're not getting out of the South. I mean, it, this is a Gonzaga-Baylor tournament, and everybody else is just kind of playing for optics, I think. Chris, we appreciate the time, man. Always enjoy seeing you on the ESPN games. All the best to you and the family. We'll talk with you again soon, my man. My pleasure, guys. Be well. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Chris Patola joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always enjoy him hopping on Wish the show. Wish you would have talked to him before you put that bracket together about the Big Ten. <laughs> right? Why couldn't he have told me? Hey, yeah, no. by the way, Ken Palm, don't listen to what so, they have to say. So before <laughs> next year's March Madness, we need to have Neil Greenberg on and we need to have Chris on to make sure we get our info before we put together that damn yeah, bracket. We'll get the player's perspective yeah. and we'll get the, uh, the stat geek's perspective. I will okay, call him. That wasn't nice to call him. He Neil calls a geek. himself that. That is what his Twitter bio is. Neil Greenberg you should is hear what he calls you, T Bone. Um, the tournament, I agree with him, by the way, that I I think this has Baylor, Gonzaga, maybe Alabama can work their way into that. I think it's, it's kind of those three teams are at a crash course at this point. So who's that, who's that fourth one in the final four? Because if it's Gonzaga, Baylor, Alabama is because Arkansas is in Baylor's bracket. So So is it Loyola, Oregon state, Syracuse or Houston would be the other final four. So it's Loyola. Loyola. Uh, although he's not wrong, Oregon State has been like, where the hell did this team come from? I don't get it. I, I As much as I love Alabama, and I said they would be a risk-free bet for me to win the title, Michigan's f- found their groove again. Don't rule out Michigan to make that final oh, four Oh, yeah. C- come on, BK. You pick Michigan. I, yeah, Michigan's the team. So I picked LSU to upset them in my bracket, and I'm a little upset that didn't happen because, man, it looked for about 30 minutes like last night, it looked as if it was going to happen. They're one of the three teams that have kept me alive. Michigan? Yeah. Yeah, well, they were the one Big Ten team that I didn't pick in my bracket. Gonzaga, it's Michigan, and Alabama. Those are the three teams that have kept me alive still. Is there a game that you guys are most excited to see in the Sweet 16? No, because I'm so pissed off. Okay, so when you get rid of your bracket and you tear it up the way you should have before this bracket ever started <laughs> um is there a game that you're looking to where you're like man that that one's going to be a lot of fun to watch this weekend i'm going syracuse houston i, th- I really believe syracuse can take down houston. that two three zone oh, again, man. Huh? i'm i'm so excited they started two, playing the two three going i hey oh. <laughs> uh, i <laughs> i am i'm excited because i think houston could fall to syracuse i i think we're looking at syracuse Wait, Loyola. Loyola in the Elite Eight. I had to make I had to remember if they yeah. were gonna meet in the bracket. I, I believe that's what's gonna happen. 
Because it's two three. That's a magical invention. I can tell you the Midwest. I have no interest in anymore. Like that. That one is just completely. Oh, what a buzzkill! I have like no interest in that. Really, the South. I, I, I'm, I'm with Chris on Baylor, Gonzaga. I'm there. The Michigan, Florida State one. That's the one I think I'm most intrigued by because Michigan has been a team that's kind of kept us all away from picking them. And Florida State, you just heard Chris mention, they're still a pretty, pretty dominant team in terms of the big men and how they play underneath the basket. That'll be one that I'm going to keep a close eye on. By the way, we need to start giving proper credit to Leonard Hamilton, the head coach over at Florida State. He's had some really good teams in recent years, and he's had a lot of success specifically in the NCAA tournament. Made it to the second round in 2017, regional final in 2018, regional semifinal, so the Elite Eight, um, in 2019, and then this year he's already to the Sweet 16. T Bone only gives proper credit to Brad Underwood. Yeah, and they lose in the no, he can't second coach round. apparently. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. Sign up and join Michelle Smallman in participating in the Michelob Ultra Seltzer Virtual 5K. It's $25 to sign up. All the proceeds benefit Pedal the Cause. By signing up, you'll get a premium Ultra Seltzer running shirt. Then you can complete your run at any time before the end of March. Get more details and sign up for the Michelob Ultra Seltzer Virtual 5K now at 101ESPN.com. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie crossing things over with the fast lane, and we have Jamie Rivers in studio. What's going on, man? Hey, guys. How we doing? Uh, better than the Blues. Is the entire city burning down today because of the St. Louis Blues? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> wow. Pretty much. Overreaction or nugget of truth? <laughs> Overreaction. <laughs> Go nugget of truth. Um, I got to say... I thought your guys' show yesterday was fantastic. Now, I missed hearing Anthony Stalter, um, but when I heard, I was in my car on my way home, and I was listening to you and uh, and BT talk about Matt Carpenter, Mm -hmm. and when BT said, hey, the Cardinals have a couple of options here with Matt Carpenter, and he he sounded down, right? He sounded, uh, frankly, sad about the Matt Carpenter situation. I get it. That's his guy. Um, That's when I knew that this isn't going to work. That, that that was that was the exact moment when I was like, you know what? I've been holding out hope for a long time that maybe Carpenter can get it turned around. That moment when I heard BT gets to the point where I was like, yeah, you know, they, they've got a couple options. I was like, okay, yep, it's over. Well, it's, it's just tough. not going to work. It's tough, right? And, and you try to put yourself in Matt Carpenter's shoes, and I think that's what we did yesterday. You guys were great with it. And you have to... You have to eliminate the 18.2, 20.2, the bio, whatever the heck it is. You, you, that has to be put to the side because this is a guy that he's not really thinking of the money right now. Matt Carpenter's thinking that, oh, I'm just another day away. I remember that feeling. I just, I'm about to find my groove here. I just need a couple more games, you know? No, it ain't coming back. It, it's just not. And. You know, it puts the organization in a tough spot sometimes because he's been a loyal soldier for the Cardinals 
uh, organization and for the city of St. Louis. He's done some great things. He's done some charity work. I mean, really, what do you have to say negative about the individual? Unless, of course, you go to, you know, the batter's box over the last year and a half to two years, and you're like, well, okay, but that's not the individual. That's him as a player. So it's tough to kind of break that in two, and it just sucks. How hard is that, Jamie, as a as a former athlete to, to come to terms with that though, because if you're a Matt Carpenter, you have plenty of pride in yourself where you're like, you know, I still can get this right. I'm, I'm still a part of this team. I want to help this team. But at some point you have to sit there and be like, man, it, this just isn't working out for and me. The other thing, man, and just, just kind of throw this in here. One of his best friends is Adam Wainwright and Nolan Arenado. But the reason why I bring up Wayno is because he saw him actually do it. Cause there was a time three years ago, probably four years ago, like 2017 ish area where it was like, Man, it's just not going to work for Wayno. This yeah. is this isn't coming he talks back openly for him. about it too. Yeah, and he thought it might be the end, and he kept trying to adjust things. He kept trying to adjust things. And then eventually, something clicked, and it worked. And now he looks like he probably the number two starter on the Cardinals in twenty twenty one, like four today. years later. Again, he looks like he's in <laughs> mid season form. It's crazy. And so, if you're Matt Carpenter, I would imagine that also goes into some of that mindset that you're talking about, Alex. Where it's like, yeah, I've seen my buddy do this. Yeah, he thought it was over. Mm-hmm. It clicked for him, and it ended up working out, and now he's great. I wonder if that also feeds into the notion of, I can do that too. It's not working for me now, but I'm going to find the adjustment that's going to work, and it's going to get there eventually. Well, you keep telling yourself that no matter what. It doesn't matter that his buddy, uh, his close friend, Adam Wainwright, had some success following what looked to be career that was dwindling out. It's And Matt Carpenter, he won't come to terms with this until he's retired for four or five years. Really? Yeah, honestly, I can tell you from my own point of view that when it was finally over, I still felt like, you know, because mine was a little different ended with an injury. But let's be honest, I was playing hockey in Russia and in Croatia. (laughs) It wasn't coming back. Right. But that just shows you where my head was at. I'm like, I can still play. You know, if a team needs a playoff guy, which probably wasn't that outlandish, but it really was the long look long term if you look at it. And so you don't usually come to terms with it until. You're so retired that you have no choice but to look back and go, yeah, yeah, that was sliding downhill pretty quickly there. And uh, it sucks when you have to do that. Boys, big news. Nogfather's in left field. Is he? Are you serious? He's, Shut he's the sub- front door. He substituted for Tyler O'Neill there in that half serious? inning. Yep. It's happening. Okay, so. It's all happening, boys. All I want. I feel the same way. Easy, Ovi. All I want is for the Nog Father to track down a line drive, oh, dive yes. a la Jimmy Edmonds, and make a catch. Oh, I, I need want a, a double play by him, too. I know. I want a <laughs> Beamer just straight to catcher and tag out at home plate. Yes. So then it's it's over. No more conversation. Outfield assist, great diving catch. We need all of it. Yeah. He's He's got to go three for three. I think they're in like the fifth inning or something. They, I don't care. He's got to get put, all of the uh, Old Buffalo head in the game there to pitch. What's his name? Jesus Cruz? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> the guy that nobody knows who he is. They used his this entire signing bonus to make that hat. <laughs> Old Buffalo hat. I didn't know David Backus was coming back into the hockey. Derek the Kimball's pitching. <laughs> Jamie, what's coming up today on the fast lane, my man? <laughs> well, we're certainly going to talk about the St. Louis Blues and their game last night against the Vegas Golden Knights. We're going to talk Cardinals. Certainly going to talk about the Nog Father and maybe what could develop here later on. we got Joey Vitale coming up, and we got Ryan Odom that's going to talk some NCAA basketball with us. UMBC is head coach, right? Yes, the sir. The guy that uh, was the, the first... coach for UMBC when they were a 16 seed. They were the first team ever to beat the number one seed, Virginia. <sighs> You're good. Nailed How that. about that? Damn Looking it. forward to that. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11. If you missed anything from today's show, check out the podcast page. It is all presented by I Promise. 
Mmm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise.